Hello and welcome to the Health in Focus with Jacobus podcast. I am your host, Jacobus Hollowein. The purpose of the show is to talk about health, healing and healthy lifestyles in a format that is down to earth and pretty easy to comprehend. Most shows will be conversations with experts in the field. However, sometimes I will do a podcast on my own, tackling other topics that interest me. The focus is on information, education, and even some entertainment. This is not a program where we diagnose, treat, or cure any diseases. In case this podcast and topic tickle your interest, please continue your own research by discussing it with a preferred medical professional, by reading books on the topic, or by doing more research on the internet. I am not a doctor, more like a journalist. I have been in this field for over 30 years, including a three-hour weekly local radio show for 19 years from 2000 through 2019. Through the years, I've also written many articles on health-related topics and have used other avenues to share what I've learned with others. I hope you'll enjoy this podcast and that you will become a follower for more show updates. Also, please sign up at my website, healthinfocusnow.com, and receive updates on podcasts and articles. Thank you very much. Now let's go to today's guest and topic. My guest today is Andrea Jones. Andy attended the University of Central Arkansas, where she earned her first degree in the fields of psychology and philosophy, and later went back for a second time to study nutrition. She has always been intrigued by the way that different people think, perceive, and interact with the world around them. This curiosity eventually led her to the practice of astrology, which is the study of the alignment of the planets at the moment a person was born. Astrologers claim that the divine organization of the universe at any given moment in time can tell us something about the energetic nature of that moment, as well as give us insight into the minds and lives of the people who were born in that moment. Now, if you'd like to get a hold of Andy, her email is karma, K-A-R-M-A, karma.astrology11 at gmail.com, karma.astrology11 at gmail.com. Andy, great to have you on the program. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you for having me here, Jacobus. Yeah. Now, I this is a topic that doesn't come easy for me. I love it. I love the... I love the variety from what I hear from people who tell me about astrology. And I, you read in the newspaper, you can read a little bit about astrology. Uh, sometimes you have people talk about Mercury retrograde, and we got to hmm. watch that. Or they say, what sun sign are you born under? And then they start telling me everything there is to know about me. If I ask you, what is astrology, how would you respond? Yeah, I would say that astrology is an ancient system of divination. It's actually the oldest form of human psychology known to man. Wow. Our ancestors have been looking to the stars as a map that can help us make sense of our own realities for over 7,000 years. And I think Carl Jung said it best. If you don't know about Carl Jung, he was a well-respected psychoanalyst in the early 20th century. And he said about astrology, we are born at a given moment in a given place, and like vintage years of wine, we have the qualities of the year and of the season which we are born. Mm -hmm. Astrology does not lay claim to anything more. Yeah, okay. What is interesting for myself, over the years, I have wondered, when you talk about the birth of Jesus, 
there's talk about the three wise men who came from the east and they followed the star. Mm-hmm. And I have started to wonder if it was not one star they followed, but if it was astrology that they saw in the sky that told them about something very special happening and they should be part of that. Yeah, you know, I've heard something about that in the past. I don't know the specifics of that story, but I wouldn't doubt if it was just that there was some kind of prediction Hmm. about an event happening Hmm. at that particular moment in time, and so then they followed their directions to the place that they were supposed to be. So if you look at astrology now with everything you know, why do people use astrology? Um, People use astrology for all kinds of things. Some like to use it for its predictive capacity, Hmm. like geopolitical forecasting and market forecasting are becoming more and more popular. I know a few astrologers who trade in the stock market and cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. So... And they utilize astrology to predict market fluctuations. Mm. And some people use it for personal forecasting, like they want to know what is coming up for them and what to expect in March, for example, when we have a few big shifts of planets into different signs. But when it comes to Western tropical astrology, which is the type of astrology that I'm specifically talking about today, I believe this practice is most commonly used as a conceptual model for understanding the self other people, and giving us some insight into why events occur at particular moments in time. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Is that looking back in the past and understanding it, or does it mean looking into the future and trying to understand what kind of trend is to be expected? Yeah, you can do both. There are a lot of astrologers that work with historical events, and so they'll look back into what we call the ephemeris, which is basically an astrological record of where all the planets were at a given moment in time. Who does that? <laughs> no, I mean, who? how do they do that? How can we go back? Because I, I think, was it even Nostradamus who used astrology or who understood what was going on and that you can go back in time? Who? How long have they, as far as you know, kept records of the planets. As far as I know, records go back 5,000 years. No way. Right, yeah. And so the ephemeris, the modern-day ephemeris that astrologers use can go back up to 5,000 years. So we can look back at those different moments in time where we know that specific events occurred and look at the different alignments of the various different planets and see what kind of energetic patterns were playing out at the time And then we get a read of those energetic patterns, and then we can look and kind of predict what's going to happen when those alignments happen again in the future. Have you yourself looked back a little bit in these these records? I've done some historical research, not a lot. How was it done in those days compared? I mean, now you have computers. You look up certain programs and you can look, the computer will do it for you. How does it look when you go back in these older records? Is it all handwritten, little signage, and is it is it words? That I'm not sure about. Um, I can show you an example of the ephemeris, the one that you can find online. And you can Google, for example, if you wanted to find an ephemeris online, you could Google ephem- ephemeris. How do you spell it anyway, ephemeris? Um, E-P-H-E-P-H-E. 
I think it's E-M-E-R-I-S. <laughs> Something like that. That's what it sounds like. E-P-H-E-M-E-R-I-S. We'll try it. Right. And then you you also write in the, the year that you're looking at. Ah, okay. And then it you will go back and it'll show you all of where the positions of the planets for all of um, that entire year. Now, one thing I was going to ask, it is about the planets, but... It only talks then about the planets of our solar system. Is that correct? We're not going into the right. Milky Way. We're not, we don't know anything about that. We are only dealing with the planets in our solar system. So the sun, the moon, we are dealing with Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn. And those are what we call the inner planets. Okay. And then we also, astrologers, work with some asteroids. I work with Chiron. And then we'll work with the outer planets of Pluto, Neptune, and Uranus. I'll be darned. Because it has caught on in the modern world, are there some famous people you know? who you? I, I remember Nancy Reagan yeah. used to use it, and she would get quite a bit of flack for it, for right. bringing up, like, uh, Ronnie, don't sign this bill, you know, or don't travel to Europe right now. And people said she's nuts. Now, she had apparently somebody who was her assistant who knew about astrology. I don't think Nancy Reagan herself knew about it. I don't know. But she had somebody would warn about good times or bad times. Right, yeah. Although Nancy Reagan had been using an astrologer for many years, she only really got interested in it after the failed assassination attempt of her husband, Ronald Reagan, who was yeah. president at the time. Mm. And she got, yeah, like you said, she got a lot of kickback from conservatives, especially the Christian community. But she kept using an astrologer to guide her and her husband throughout the rest of their lives. Mm. Um, some other people that use astrology, uh, J.P. Morgan, and J.P. Morgan has a famous quote. He said that millionaires don't use astrology, billionaires do. <laughs> and if you don't know who J.P. Morgan was, he was a commercial banker who started the a, a commercial banking institution, and he lived from 1837 to 1913. Mm. So that was a long time ago, and he sure. was worth $35 billion in his lifetime. So. In his lifetime, wow. <laughs> um, other people that use astrology, Madonna, Albert Einstein, Kim Kardashian. You know, love Kim Kardashian or hate her. She has built an impressive billion-dollar empire. I don't know to what degree she has utilized astrology in her decision-making, but I think it's interesting that she's on that list. Yeah. And Carl Jung. Carl Jung was probably the most influential psychologist for me whenever I was going through school. And I didn't find out that he used astrology in his practice until later on. If you don't know who Carl Jung is, he's one of the greatest psychologists in history. And he used astrology with his clients for a long time before he was actually comfortable enough to even hint at its use because of the fact that it was so widely criticized. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I don't know anybody else that, that uses it, who uses it, but wow, that's interesting. And you're absolutely right. Uh, somebody like Madonna and Kim Kardashian, if they have used that, that is something that has probably helped them in their career. Maybe that's why Madonna did plastic surgery uh, recently. <laughs> she figured it was going to be good. <laughs> so what do you need to know as an individual before you start practicing? Okay, so basically there are two forms of astrology that you need to know about just so that you can be sure that you are consistently following one practice or another so you don't get confused. 
There is Western astrology that uses the tropical zodiac, and that's what I use. This form of astrology does not account for the precession of equinoxes. Basically, what this means is that the Earth's axis is slightly tilted, meaning that our perception of the sky from where we are standing on Earth changes over time. Yeah. So Mm. our perception of the constellations that make up the night sky shifts 30 degrees every 2,150 years. Wow. So if you look up in the sky tonight with your Skyview app and you find the planet Jupiter, it'll be in the sidereal sign of Pisces, which is 23.4 degrees away from where it is in the tropical zodiac. In the tropical zodiac, it's currently in the sign of Aries. It's important to understand how the precession of equinoxes affects our view of the sky. And with that being said, tropical astrology uses the original interpretation of these constellations that were generated by astrologers a couple thousand years ago. But our interpretation is based more on the equinoxes and solstices as well as the seasons of the northern hemisphere. The other main form of astrology is Eastern or Vedic astrology. This type of astrology does compensate for the precession of equinoxes, so their interpretations often address different subjects compared with what you might hear from a Western astrologer. Hmm. In my experience, Eastern or Vedic astrology is a bit more predictive in nature, whereas Western or tropical astrology is better at personality characterizations and providing a sense of understanding for what is currently playing out in your life. And from my perspective... I think that Vedic astrology is a bit too fatalistic or deterministic for my taste. I believe in both fate and free will. In other words, I think certain energies are predestined to play out in our lives, but I think we have the potential to consciously participate in how those realities manifest. Absolutely. And Vedic astrology is going to be a little bit more prone to the bias of, this is your karma. This is what you get. Yeah. <laughs> so either way, I think it's just important to know which form you want to practice. I see. It's so interesting because the Vedic then, you would expect that it wouldn't survive the length of time because who wants to know the negative stuff that may happen to you and when it's going to happen, uh, right? The- I mean, a lot of people do. I mean, in, in India, they still use it to plan when they get married and who they marry. Oh, wow. I think a lot of people will plan their entire lives based around their astrological orientation. And Western astrology, we're not so deterministic about it. Yeah. <laughs> so when you look at the Western astrology or the tropical zodiac, then you talk about the axle of the earth is slightly tilted. And so the way you look into the sky at night, it's not just at night, it's all every every moment of the day, there is simply a different view mm-hmm. of how the planets line up. Mm-hmm. How interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is, it, I can understand it visually, but why that would make a difference in the way you determine astrology, why would that be important what what that's what i'm asking yeah. why would that be important uh, the angle is the angle it's the reality of life right and every 21 but you say every 2100 years mm-hmm. it changes so many degrees it changes that, 30 degrees so it'll go back an entire uh, sign of the zodiac uh, so what 2150 years ago what was originally the sign of aries was will now be pisces Oh. Yeah. And it oh. just it just kind of changes. And like I said, 
Vedic astrology accounts for that. So they will still read your chart according to the orientation of the sky that we currently see. But in tropical astrology, we're using the solstices and equinoxes. So it's more of a, a seasonal understanding, a seasonal interpretation. Mm. It's kind of like if you were born in late December, mid-December, your sun sign is in Capricorn, and that's how we interpret it using mm. tropical astrology. If we were reading your chart according to Vedic, your sun sign would be in the sign of Sagittarius. Huh. Now, not that that could be coincidence, but they often talk about a 2,000-year cycle, and we have, I think, we're moved into the Aquarian age, mm -hmm. right? We were in the time of Jesus, we were on the Piscean age, mm -hmm. and is, is, do you think that may have anything to do with it, that they say every 2,000 years there could be a new shift on the plan in the planet, a new leader may stand up who leads the people? Um, I've heard interesting theories about it. I haven't dove too much into the whole Aquarian age. Um, that, that one's hard to say. So the Aquarian age is not something you would work with? No, not necessarily. Oh, so who comes up with those ideas then? Piscean age uh, and Aquarian age? Uh, yes, other astrologers. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't, I haven't worked with that one. All right, all right, all right. What do you think then if you now now you explain two types of astrology, Western and Eastern, tropical versus Vedic? What is it that interests people in astrology? What what has brought it on? Maybe you can make a comparison between why are people interested in it today, let's say the last 20, 30 years, versus when you go back to records, the uh ephemeris. 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 There you go. That it's already can be traced back for about 5,000 years. What do you think may have triggered the interest and why are people so interested in it? I know farmers yeah, use they would use it the stars or the moon. To, yeah, to determine when they should harvest and things yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. I think now people are more interested in astrology as a way to organize reality. I think there's another component to it, maybe something about wanting to understand the people around you. Mm. I know that when I was growing up, I was always keenly aware of the fact that people were so different and unique from one another. And as a result, I felt that people were always a little unpredictable. And the unpredictability of human nature can be a little unsettling when you don't know what you're working with. Mm -hmm. And did you know what the three, the three things that people fear the most... People are afraid of the unknown future, other people, and their own minds. And astrology is quite useful in helping us navigate these fears. Right. Through consistent practice and study in astrology, we can get to know our own minds more thoroughly, and we can also learn to recognize certain psychological patterns in other people. This gives us a sense of understanding them, which inevitably helps us to feel more comfortable around different types of people. Right. And to accept them for where they are. Right. And not try to, you not try to bend the bar of steel here. You just let it be. Right. You're not trying to fix the other person. Then maybe you have the choice to work on yourself psychologically. Yeah. To be able to work with that individual. Hmm. Or find another job. <laughs> <laughs> Now, we mentioned, um, well, J.P. Morgan and Carl Jung were the only two that you mentioned are male. The other ones are... Albert oh, Einstein. No, Einstein. So you had three of each, Nancy mm -hmm. Reagan, Madonna, and Kim Kardashian, and then three men. 
I balanced it, it usually, out. I'm a Libra. You did. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> <Sure>. Libra. <laughs> so is it usually that women are more interested or does it not really matter? Yeah. I mean, according to recent polls, about 37% of women in the U.S. believe in astrology as a useful practice compared to only about 20% of men. Mm -hmm. And that's just United States. That if is you go the United to, States. Statistic. If you go to places like India, oh, yeah, the Vedic system. Oh, yeah, probably a lot higher. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Again, you think I'm women? guessing. I'm guessing it would be higher. I don't know. It's I don't part know. of the culture? It's part of the culture. I yeah. think it's pretty ingrained there. Hmm. Is it part of the Ayurvedic uh, study? So is it yes. still a separate it's separate study? Mm -hmm. Astrology is associated with the Ayurvedic tradition, yeah. Hmm. Is there any, any feeling that you have why women would be more interested than men? Are women more emotional, uh, emotionally programmed, so to say, that they the feelings are very important for them and that's why they want to understand it better or guys are like, mm, whatever, I got to get the job done? Yeah, that's a, a cool question. And I have a couple of theories on this. The first has to do with how the physical brain works in different genders. In men, neural activity is localized in one region of the brain at a time, giving them more capacity for direct linear thought. Mm -hmm. In a woman's brain, neural networks actually fire both ways across the corpus callosum. Oh. So when a woman is working on a complex problem, her brain is firing in both hemispheres, giving her a better capacity for multitasking. It's more energy consuming, which is why women need slightly more sleep than men on average to repair and integrate. Mm -hmm. And because of these biological differences in men and women, I believe it influences our pattern recognition abilities and therefore what kinds of problems we are naturally drawn to solve. Women are drawn to patterns that are slightly more nuanced and harder to specifically categorize, right. whereas men like problems that can they can directly solve. Um, this could account for why more men tend to be drawn to things like stock market investing and cryptocurrency, hmm. while women are more drawn to more abstract fields like the social sciences and astrology. And it's like, just like you mentioned, I also think that women are drawn to psychology, astrology, and the social sciences in general because women have a greater evolutionary need to be able to read the subtle behavioral cues in those around them. Hmm. Women don't have the evolutionary advantage of being the bigger, stronger, and more powerful sex. So our brains had to evolve to be more perceptive of subtle emotional states and psychological patterns in the people around us as a way of leveling the playing field. And I think this type of perception functions as a built-in safety mechanism for us. We need to be able to understand other people's subtle psychological states because we need to know who is safe and who isn't. Right. And I think learning astrology is one way that we do that. Mm. In general, women are indeed able to manage the families better with their understanding and accepting of the children and often the husband and trying to navigate, <laughs> navigate through all that to get the job done. But yeah. you say with the multitasking, that that's my understanding or my my idea about what you say. Uh, very interesting. Men are therefore maybe more focused outwardly and women more inwardly, so they have more capacity to um, put all these together, these these feelings, these observations in their own personal life. Yeah. Have you ever seen women have 
a fight. <laughs> it's so subtle. It's it's often just like, a, it's, but it's sometimes it's really subtle. It's like just you're the tone of your voice shifts. Like, oh, I like that outfit. Hmm. <laughs> and, and that's a full-on fight you know <laughs> this is how our brains are wired to perceive yeah. things differently yeah i don't think that guys will say something like i no. really think that jeans makes your ass look big <laughs> to another guy <laughs> probably not uh, so there's there's a subtle change right there wow now when you when you deal with astrology and you start really thinking about when somebody was born, where they were born, what time they were born, and then create this chart, this 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 blueprint. Can I say blueprint? Sure. Yes. Starting blueprint of where everything, where everything begins, and and how it developed has developed, and is what your strength and maybe some weaknesses are that you need to work on, then. Do you have a feeling that when people start working with an astrologer like yourself, that they feel their potential is reduced? Mm. Uh, is Would you consider astrology like you put somebody in a box and they don't really have much time to come out of that? They go like, well, this is just my fate. This mm. is just who I am. I cannot be somebody else. Yeah. I will never be successful or I will never be, uh, mm. I will never be lucky in life. That kind of stuff. You know, that is one reason that I go more towards the tropical Western astrology because it's a lot less reductive in general mm. and it doesn't put people in boxes so much. But I, I do think that that is actually a common belief or bias against astrology that many people have. People who don't know much about astrology use the argument that it's reductive and puts people in these little narrowly defined personality boxes. And I think I think astrology is not reductive at all, but I can understand how my other people might see it. In all fairness, this is probably a reaction to sun sign astrology, where you identify others based on one of 12 signs, and right. that is reductive. I see. When you start learning about astrology, often the first thing you learn about is sun signs. Unfortunately for many people, they stop learning after that. It's like they were given one golden nugget of insight about how people operate, and they take that piece of information and run with it until they wear it out. Mm. But you have to realize that these people are amateurs in the field of astrology, and if we're being objective about it, there's still a lot of learning and integration that they need to do before they should realistically be talking to other people about what they know. Mm. So if you know someone who claims that astrology is reductive, maybe cut them some slack. A lot of times it's because their encounter with astrology has been mostly with those amateur astrology students who are overly reductive. But you can't just judge the entire field of astrology based on a few individuals who led you astray. Personally, I feel the responsibility for creating an accurate perception of astrology lies with those who practice it. It's up to us to give it the reputation that it deserves. Hmm. It is indeed easy to just say, well, in my case, I'm a Capricorn, so we just, I have a lot of Capricorn energy. But understanding a little bit more about astrology, and still I'm a super, super layman here, then understanding that there is the moon and something called rising sign, maybe mm -hmm. you can explain what that is first before I continue sure, yeah. so what so you, you want to know when you work with astrology you want to know what what day were you born 
where were you born, what's mm-hmm. the town, and the to the minute, if you can. What time you were what born. What time you were born, the in yeah. the morning, in that hemisphere. So I was born in the Netherlands, so it all depends on what the situation was mm-hmm. in the Netherlands mm-hmm. at that time zone at the time, correct? And what is right. what is a rising sign? Why is that important? The rising sign gauges where the sun was rising on the eastern horizon um, at the moment that you were born. Um, so what if you're born at two in the afternoon? The sun is up. Yeah, the, so the sun would be oriented in a different chart. Uh, I'm sorry, in a different house uh, of your chart. Say if you were born so at what's 6 a.m.? Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's break it down. Let's get the house. All right. So a, a zodiac, the wheel of the zodiac is yeah. broken up into 12 different pieces, like a pizza pie. Okay. And each of those pieces, we uh, call them houses. Okay. And all of those houses relate to a different area of life. So your first house, mm-hmm. which is marked by your rising sign, is going to be um, kind of representative of you as an individual, your personality, your persona, what you carry moving forward into the world. Um, so a lot of times it, it also determines the way that you physically look. So if you have planets situated in the first house, you will carry the energy of that specific planet mm. moving forward. Um, mm. One example that I can give that uh, right off the bat is somebody who has Venus in the first house. These people are notoriously attractive. Why? Because Venus governs things um, related to beauty and symmetry. So mm. oftentimes these people are beautiful in nature. Angelina Jolie is a great example of somebody who has Venus in the first house of her chart. Okay. And then every subsequent house tells me something about a different area of your life. The second house has to do with your resources or your earned income, your finances. Mm. The third house has to do with communication mm. and siblings and short trips and things like that. Yeah. The fourth house is the home or the the center point of the person. It's it's the most personal, least visible point of a, who a person is, um, but it's a very, very important part of the chart. And then we move on to the fifth house, which yeah. oftentimes represents your children or your creative output into the world. We move to the sixth house. Would that be career, creative output, or is it hobbies? Um, your career can relate to your fifth house, but career, not necessarily. When we're looking, when an astrologer looks specifically for career or how you show up in the world, the legacy that you're leaving behind, we're looking at the 10th house. Okay. Yeah. So fifth house is going to be more of, you know, love, romance, um, children, creative and out, outputs. Hmm. Um, I know that's so, kind of abstract. Yeah, because what if you don't have children? What? Uh, how right. would it then affect you? So the energy will adjust based on the forms that you are manifesting in your life. Okay. So if you don't have children, then it might be, you know, you get really into some type of hobby or something like that. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. And, and then the sixth, sixth house, house is going to be your day-to-day work or your health. It's often associated with health. Mm-hmm. Diet goes into the sixth house issues as well. Um, seventh house is another important angle of the chart, and that is the the significant other 
or partnerships or uh, business agreements. So mm-hmm. that's a huge domain of life right. that starts the next section of the chart. And then the eighth house is going to be shared resources or, uh, you know, the eighth house represents all kinds of interesting abstract things like sex, death, taxes, um, other people's resources, deep psychological understandings of yourself and of other people. It's really interesting, that whole... (laughs) I mean, we could spend a lot of time on each house, but I'm just trying to give a general overview. Super Um, interesting. And then the ninth house is going to be long-distance travel or higher education, also people who publish a lot or write books associated with the ninth house, um, professors, lawyers, um, judges, things like that. The 10th house, we get into your legacy, what you're building in the world or what you are trying to achieve. Mm. It's like the pinnacle of the ego. It's mm. the the highest place in the chart, the most visible point of the chart, what you want the rest of the world to see. Yeah. And then we move into the 11th house, and that's going to be your friends and associations and groups and things like that. Uh-huh. Also, hopes and dreams fit into that house. And then in society in general, humanitarian endeavors. And then we move to the 12th house. And the 12th house is the last house of the Zodiac. The 12th house is where things fall apart. It's like interesting. (laughs) It's it's known as the house of undoing. And it's often associated with places of isolation, which can mean institutions, hospitals, prisons, um, but then also things like ashrams and... Holy places. Holy places. Huh? Places that you select to just go and be in isolation. Inspired mm-hmm. by or so. Yeah, huh? can find inspiration. Absolutely. So that could be like a religious belief that you feel uh, strong about that way or could that fit in the 12th house? I'm well, just... that, that one, it gets interesting. Sometimes... When we're talking about religion, we can fit that into the ninth house. If we're talking specifically about spirituality, we're going to be talking about the twelfth house, and that's going to be your direct connection with higher source or something that inspires you. Mm-hmm. Who are you when you're by yourself? Basically, is what we're looking at when we're when we're talking about the twelfth house. The ninth house is more of your larger orientation, like a conceptual map. Okay. How do you make sense of reality? Hmm. Um, and sometimes religion fits into that subject as well. Okay. So if I imagine again that pizza pie s- sliced up in 12 slices, it's interesting that certain things fit really right next to each other. They go from this to the next to the next to the next. And then you would think that the 12th goes back into the first house, which is that house of beauty and uh, natural Right? Well, Who the you house, are? it's the house of the self. House if you have the Venus self. there, then it's, yes, you oh, okay. show up as beautiful in the world. But okay. it's the house of the self, how you as you, you and your personality will show up in the world. Um, so now I really like this concept of houses, but how do I place it in understanding astrology? What, where do the houses show up? Everywhere, I guess. Uh, in the whole explanation of astrology, where, how do you how do you put the houses, what house you're in, where do you fit that? We I, were talking about the rising sign. So where did the sun rise in the east at the time you were born? And then I said, 
well, what if you're born at 2 p.m.? Mm. It's light, it's right. bright, the sun is already up. Right. How do we? How, how do you explain to me then? Right. So if you were born around 2 p.m., then that would put your son in probably the ninth house. Okay. Um, and so if you were born at 6 a.m., your yeah. son would be right on your rising. So you would have the sun in the first or something like that. Oh, okay. So you add the hours up uh, mm -hmm. from the moment. So let's say in the summertime, I'm just trying to understand, okay? So in the summertime, the sun may go up, may get up at five five thirty in mm -hmm. the morning. So then every hour after that, you move one house. In the winter time, the sun gets up at eight. So the the rising sign will change about every two and a half hours. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that's constantly in rotation. And it is because we have twenty four hours in a day. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Okay. 24 hours in a day, that changes every two hours, yeah. Yeah, roughly every Math. two hours. <laughs> Look at us. <laughs> We're so good. <laughs> We're sharp as a tech. Okay. Uh, I hope you don't mind that I keep asking about the houses. Yeah, Because no. every time people talk to me about, well, yeah, you got the fifth house, and I go like, oh, whatever. We're here for understanding, so let's Yeah, that's it. Dive. So I just don't <laughs> understand the houses. I yeah. understand how you explain it, mm -hmm. 1 through 12. But do you only use the houses with the rising sign or do you use it with the moon? Do you use it with the sun sign? Oh, when okay. do you use houses? I see what your question is. Yeah. So every planet will be situated somewhere in the chart and in, in various different houses according to the moment that you were born. Okay. So let's say the moment that you were born, all of the planets were in a specific alignment. If you looked up at the sky, the moment that Jacobus was born, we knew that the sun was in the sign of Capricorn and the moon was in the sign of Libra and we had all these other planets going on. Mm. Um, well, the moment that you were born, Scorpio was rising. Yeah. And so what that did was that it placed all of these various different planets, which represent different parts of your psyche, into different houses of the chart, which mm. characterize how your life is going to play out or where you're going to put more of your energy um, based on which planet falls into those houses. So one interesting manifestation of that is your rising sign is Scorpio, which puts your sun in Capricorn in the third house. And in the third house, we see things explain like... Explain that to me, right? please. Explain that. Yeah. Me. In the third house, we, we see the significations of communication we often see things like this, like podcasts. But by, by the way, Andy is mentioning what I am. Yes, I'm a Capricorn. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna expose you here a little bit. <laughs> I hope that's okay. No, we can always edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if it's too exposing, it makes no, sense. No, I don't. I don't worry about it. But it's uh, so. Yes, my my son is Capricorn. My moon is Virgo. Libra. Think, Libra. Uh, Libra. Virgo Libra. I thought I'm on, kind of on yeah, the cusp. Yeah, very, Which very is not an interesting Libra. thing. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then my rising sign was Scorpio. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Okay, cool. And so that puts these various different planets in these different houses. It puts your moon in the 12th house um, of maybe more comfort and emotional comfort in isolation. But Wait, that is not... Standard for everybody, right? No, not, no, no. I mean, not yeah. what house it's in, but you say that based on, you know, my moon was in early Libra mm -hmm. 
And now you say that means that the house is where? That puts your moon in the 12th house because your rising sign is Scorpio. So your Scorpio marks the first house of your chart. Scorpio mm-hmm. is the first house. And my, the rising sign is mm-hmm. the first house. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So then we start counting. That yeah. would then be the first house. And then we start counting to the moon, which was... Well, the moon is in the 12th, so we'd have to count oh, the a moon long is in the way 12th. to get back back over there. And we'd have to go through a lot of planets if we were going to break down your entire chart. But really what we're looking at is we look at your first house yeah. and we look at the planets that are in your first house. And for example, you have Venus in your first house. So attractive appearance and you're, it, you do really well when your face is on stuff. Huh. Like in marketing, which is yeah. why we were talking about this radio show. I was like, put your face on there. Yeah. Venus in the first house, put your face on stuff. Mm. Um, you have some planets in the second house, which relates to the voice and to speaking and to finances and resources. So there's going to be more of an energetic experience of distributing energy to that field. But then also your son is in the third house, which is what I was talking about earlier, and that gives you kind of this propensity to be a a networker or a speaker or somebody who does like radio and podcasts. How interesting. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a natural thing. Absolutely. It, this is not something that I would have to extra develop. This is almost, I was born with a talent that if I decided in life to explore that further, it would be a talent I have. And if you did not decide to explore communication, you would feel very much off of your path. And that's what astrology is all about, is helping people to get most closely aligned with the truth of who they are. So if you weren't doing something in regards to communication and you were really just feeling depressed or just kind of out of it, I would be like, Jacobus, maybe we look at a podcast. <laughs> right. Oh, well, you've already got it going. I got so. it going, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I I need to ask again. Okay. So if my moon is in the first house. Twelfth. Twelfth house. Twelfth house. Then when you look at the moon, then you find out my sun is in the third house, is what you said. If we're looking at the rising sign, if we know your, if we know what time you were born, yeah. then we can determine where these other planets are placed. So this is a constantly moving something. But at the time that I was born, mm-hmm. even though my sun would be a Capricorn, and I thought that would be, a, oh, that is the third because my my uh, so is Virgo no is Aries in in the first house or is that where usually the zodiac starts? Mm-hmm. If we're if we're using the natural zodiac, it's yeah. called the natural zodiac. It would start with the sign of Aries and then it would go Taurus, Gemini on. But at the moment you were born, the universe took a screenshot, um, or we took a screenshot of the organization of the universe, and. At that moment, Scorpio was rising. And so it set your energetic imprint based on that moment, based on the moment that you came into the world. And so this is like a blueprint that your soul carries with you throughout your entire life. 
and you will manifest different form realities in all of these different houses. In other words, you'll play with different forms. You know, you might have gotten into radio before. That's a form of communication. Yeah. Now you're into podcasting. Now you, then you might go on to something else, but you're always going to be known, which is the, what the sun is, where the sun shines. You're going to be known as a person who communicates. Hmm. Because that was the that's your energetic blueprint. You you don't change that. Correct. Yeah, it, it is super interesting. I need to I like to visualize. So I'm just trying to understand. So what you're telling me is that when you take a photograph of what happened at the time I was born, then the the planets are in different slices of the pie. Right. And that's what you're telling me. Yeah. So it is not that the Capricorn is always in the third house. No. It is just right. at the time when I was at born. At the time you were born. I was born. And it's kind of like the way that I like to describe this is, as an energetic blueprint is you think of how does a builder know what to build whenever they're building a house? They have to have a blueprint. So they will draw up this blueprint and that is the model that they follow and they follow that plan until the thing comes to full fruition. Mm. And the moment that you were born, that energetic snapshot was taken, and that's how your soul knows what to build. Correct. That's that's how you feel inspiration to to be pulled to communication. Right. Or to these various different areas of life based on what planets fall where. And astrology changes with by the minute. It can change by the hour, right? The day. So yeah. my sun sign could be in the sixth house right now, for example, if we were taking a snapshot of where we are today, and that would bring different energy to me during the day. But it doesn't take away that when I was born, there are certain characteristics or talents or weaknesses that I was born with because I was born on those signs. Right. Okay. And I think what you're talking about is transits. So your energetic imprint is going to be stable throughout your entire life, but the planets keep moving, keep rotating. Okay. So the planets will move through various houses of your chart, yeah. and that's going to light up the energy of those various different houses so that you're never going to be just developed in one specific area of life. All of those, the movement of the planets is going to be correlated with your energetic draw to these different areas of life at different moments in time. Let's say, for example, a person has a an empty seventh house. So they're not necessarily constantly drawn to partnership or to, to manifest themselves in partnership. At the time they were born. At the time that they were born. Okay. So that's not going to be a part of necessarily their life mission, but they will have transits to the seventh house plenty throughout their lives. Yeah. So they're at various moments throughout the life, they'll have the opportunity to develop a significant partnership or um, do something like that. And so that's where the initiation of that action comes from is whenever those planets transit through those different houses. That make that makes a lot of sense. I have to say. <laughs> so what you're saying, Andy, is that the practice of astrology is actually a lot more complex and nuanced than just the sun sign astrology. Um, how do you use astrology as a personal practice? 
What do you do? I've known you now for a while, and I think you should do this for a living because you just <laughs> you have so much fun with it. But how do you use it for yourself and your own personal practice? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an incredible tool for self-development and the pursuit of self-actualization. Every planet, like we were talking about, represents a component of your psychological nature that can be further developed with conscious practice. Astrology helps you to identify those components of your mind and clarify how they work within you as an individual. And from that point, you have the opportunity to learn more about those areas of life and really meditate on how you want to develop those specific parts of yourself. I see. Yeah. And do you do you help those who are close to you in your life by introducing them to astrology and say, this is really an important mm -hmm. part of my life? And, and uh, do you mind if I explain something to you that maybe can help you Further, is that is that what you like to do, or mm. do you do that? Uh, introduce those close to you too, like say family. So, everyone's going to have a, a different orientation to their conceptual models. For me, I have Saturn and Sagittarius. That's an indication of being a little bit more reserved with your conceptual models and a little bit more. I think, skeptical in nature and a little bit more disciplined about it in nature. So I'm I'm not as open and um, forthcoming, I think, with sharing astrology because I kind of see it as, in some ways, a way that I organize reality and I don't want to force that on anybody else. Everybody has their beliefs about how reality works. Right. If people start to ask me questions, I can talk all day, as you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but... It is something that I, I think I wait for because I, I don't really want to push that on anybody if they're not ready or open for it. Yeah. The few times that I've talked to you and listened to you talk about astrology with other people, I've just been impressed with your playfulness and your spontaneity mm -hmm. and that you actually say it in a way that is just fun. Yeah. People just laugh when you talk, and in, in, in a supportive way, not like, <laughs> like wow, this, this is really fun, you know. <laughs> so, astrology. But that means to me that either you have a s tremendous gift for absorbing the information about astrology, playing with the information left and right and up and down and forward and backwards. Right. It's it's very comfortable for you. It's like a second language. So is this? Indeed, because of how your astrology is put together, or is this something you have spent a lot of time with? For example, how long have you been doing astrology? What what got you interested in astrology if you are a person who is not trying to push something on somebody else? You're a little bit more introvert. You, uh, you know, you're more quiet about it. What was it at some point and when about in your life that you thought, wow, this is pretty cool stuff. I want to learn more about it. Yeah, so I studied psychology in my early 20s, like right. I you mentioned in yeah, the introduction. Yeah, yeah. And so my first introduction to astrology was actually, I was taking a psych psychology class and we were learning about the Barnum effect. And the Barnum effect is based Barnum? Barnum. Like the, Barnum and Bailey? Uh... Yes, Barnum and Bailey. <laughs> really? Yeah. And so with that, that's basically like, People believe in things because it they they hear something that they like. Yeah. And so it's got a positive bias to it. And they're like, yeah, that sounds mm -hmm. good. I'll believe mm -hmm. it. 
And so my first introduction to astrology was, well, people are naive and they'll believe anything that they want to hear. So I just wrote it off completely. And I didn't touch it again until I was in my late 20s and I was working in Austin, Texas. And I was having a difficult time with work. I was going through something that we call a Saturn return. So a girl came up to me that I worked with and she was like, I think you need to see an astrologer. And I was like, okay, whatever, this chick. And so I went and saw the astrologer and she was telling me things about myself that I was like, there's no way. There's no way you can know these things. Right. And, and it wasn't only about my personality, my, my character, but also about specific events that may have happened at given points in my life. And she was basically reading the transits of when those transits played out mm -hmm. um, over the years. So I was just hooked and I was like, I have to dive into this. And so I did. And that was back in 2016. And I've just been studying it ever since. Mm -hmm. And it's like you said, it has become like a second language to me. Um, I think I've told you, I kind of have a photographic memory for people's charts. Yes, you do. Yeah. So it's a lot of times I'll remember people more by the energy of their chart than sometimes by their face. And, um, and that's because if I have an interaction with them and I, I feel the energy, I perceive the energy of that specific placement, it's impossible to forget. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So you don't have photographic memory for everything. It's just no. that you have this, wow. Yeah, just just for perceiving other people's, I guess, their their psyche, the, the orientation of their psyche, how their, their brains are wired, hmm. how they work. And yeah, at work, I'll, I'll walk around and I'll be like, I'll perceive this person has... Mercury and Sagittarius because of the way that they're talking or they have, you know, the moon and Gemini and I'll, I'll, I'll name it and then I'll go and look up their chart. And a lot of times it's accurate. Wow. Not all the time. Can't get it a hundred percent, but you know. Sure. There's definitely the influences that could have given you that idea without it being factual. Right. And, and a lot of times it's because I've seen that energy in other people before. Mm. How did you yourself first become interested in the practice of astrology. So there is the interest in astrology. And then how do you get interested in saying, this is what I want to really study mm. and learn more about? This is fascinating. When how, how did that go? Yeah, I've always been interested in things like perception and belief systems. And by belief systems, I mean the way that we think about and organize our understanding of reality. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned in the introduction, my first degree was in psychology. While I was studying psychology, I was fascinated with different personality theories, like the Myers-Briggs personality type indicator. Oh, yeah, yeah. I heard and, about it. Yeah, and the, and the Big Five personality assessment. And I really spent some time digging into those theories as an attempt to figure out how people work and why the, they work the way they do. But what I found out with a lot of these commonly used personality assessments is that there are a few inherent problems with them that I just couldn't overlook. My mm. three main issues was that these personality assessments are subjective. 
They're not externally verifiable, and the results can often change over time. Okay. And the huh. reason that I like astrology as a means of understanding the core personality characteristics in people is because it doesn't fall into those traps. I see. That's so interesting. Because I've done that Myers-Briggs test, and I thought it was super fascinating mm -hmm. how, they, how they pick up on certain characteristics and that you just recognize it. And even when I, we did it with uh, our son and his wife, go like, man, this is just amazing. This is right on. Mm -hmm. But you say it's it's fluctuate it fluctuates. It the, can fluctuate can over time. Right. They they can change and uh, they're subjective. So the Myers Briggs personality type indicator was created by a couple of women who followed the teachings of Carl Jung. And there are four measures in that test if people don't know about what that test is. So these measures supposedly evaluate your overall personality type. Um, they measure whether you are more extroverted or introverted, right. whether your perception is sensing or intuitive, and that's kind of like top-down versus bottom-up perception, whether you are oriented to filter the world through the lens of how you feel versus what you think, and that's the thinking-feeling dimension, mm -hmm. and whether you're more prone to judging or perceiving. Basically, a judging person relies on structure and makes definitive decisions, but a perceiving person is more open and ad adaptable. Right. So if you figure out where you are on the spectrum for each of these traits and you end up with one of the 16 personality types, then this test was revolutionary in the field of psychology when it was initially put together. Mm. Um, and it still holds a lot of value in teaching us about individual perception. So I want to emphasize that I'm not dismissing this test. It's very useful in the right context. It just okay. measures... Things that can change over time versus right. your astrology, which doesn't change over time. It doesn't change over time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's, it's a reality. And I, I want to talk to you about that at some point. I want to talk about if this scientist is scientifically based astrology or not. But um, if you do like the Myers-Briggs personality test, why do you prefer using astrology then still over this one when you're actually trying to understand someone's core personality characteristics. Like you said earlier, that is one of the things that that you were amazed when you heard somebody talk about astrology. Why why do you still feel then that astrology should be used over the Myers-Briggs test? Yeah, I mean, the Myers-Briggs test, first of all, it's subjective, meaning that in order to figure out where you are in the spectrum in regards to a particular personality characteristic, you have to rate yourself according to your perception of yourself at that moment in time. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to recognize the flaw in that approach. Many people have a disoriented perception of themselves, or it's possible that they may not fully understand what each of these dimensions is really all about before they choose one. These factors can really skew the results of a personality assessment. Astrology, on the other hand, is not subjective because it's based on the idea that the particular and complex way that the universe was organized at the moment of your birth determines how you perceive the world. Okay, so now you have done both. You have, you have studied uh, Myers-Briggs and you study astrology. Mm -hmm. And so the way I understand your answer now is that astrology influences Myers-Briggs not Myers-Briggs influences astrology. And because of that, you say 
it is more important to study astrology than the Myers-Briggs. Yeah, so... It's not a competition, but it is just it, whoever influences the other should be studied. The influencer should be studied more than the effects. Right. So you, you think about when you're wanting to get to know people, you think about, uh, am I going to get to know you based on, for example, who you are or the clothes that you're wearing? The clothes that you're wearing change every day. And so it kind of relates a little bit to the personality assessments. If mm. they're capable of changing, like if you took the Myers-Briggs assessment 20 years ago, could be different than the results that you would get today. Um, and so for that reason, I didn't invest a lot of faith in it necessarily. Mm. It's kind of like, let's think of the metaphor or the analogy of the ship of Theseus. Have you ever heard of this? No. I have not. Okay, so the ship of Theseus is this big boat, and it's in the port, and they're going, they've got all of these people on this boat, and they're going to take this boat sailing all around the world. So they leave the port, and as they're going, there's a plank on the boat that breaks. Okay. And so what they have to do is they have to replace that plank. And so they take that old one and they toss it overboard and they get a new one and they hammer it in place. Is it still the ship of Theseus? I would say so. Yeah, right? It's yeah. pretty much the same thing. Okay, so let's say over time they keep sailing throughout the world and over time every single thing on that boat breaks. And so every single component of that boat has to be replaced. The steering wheel, the doors, the hinges on the doors, all of the planks, everything is it still the ship of Theseus? If the name on the outside still says so. Okay, so I would you're still saying it's the it. name. The name. Okay. Okay. What if all of the crew members change? Is it still the ship of Theseus? So it's not, it's not, it, we're identifying, we're, what we're trying to get at is what is the core of this thing? There, This boat has an essence, right? It does. Right. And even though all of those little component parts can change over time, the boat still carries that essence with it. Yeah. And this is kind of how I'm looking at individual personalities. I'm looking for the core essence of a person, the thing that doesn't change. And if you can get to the point where you can recognize these psychological patterns in people, you'll notice that these are things that don't change. They're the same whenever the child is two years old and whenever they're 98 years old. Those things don't change. Now, their Myers-Briggs test can change. Their Big Five assessment can change. Let's take, for example, the Big Five. The Big Five personality assessment includes five metrics, openness, conscientiousness, agreeableness, extroversion, and neuroticism. There was an interesting study published back in 2011 which demonstrated that one large dose of psilocybin, which is a hallucinogen extracted Mo from mushroom, mushrooms— yeah had the effect of permanently altering an individual's personality characteristic in the domain of openness to experience. Mm. For those people, it was considered to be a life-changing experience, so it's not a minor thing that altered their personality assessment. But my point is that this mystical experience was capable of changing their personality according to that metric. Mm. So this is what I mean when I say that traditional psychology personality tests are plastic or changeable over time. They don't measure stable, unchanging, what I call core personality attributes. Regardless of life experiences or changing dynamics that can impact their social personality, 
I was sure that there had to be something inherent about a person that didn't change. But traditional psychology really didn't have any way of telling me what that was, and I couldn't put my finger on it until I started studying astrology, and then I figured out this is what it is. I see. So then you saw certain standard characteristics that would be with the person the rest of their life because of the blueprint. Right, because of that blueprint. And mm-hmm. and there's something in a person, and I don't know the explanation of it. In some traditions, it's referred to as the daimon, but it's it's an energetic force within people that drives them towards their true orientation or their true path. And from my conceptual understanding, your astrology chart marks what your true orientation is all about. Mm-hmm. And like I said, you can play with different forms throughout your life. You can do anything you want, but it's kind of like your energy is always going to be pulled to specific domains to express yourself in those different ways. I see. You always gravitate towards yes. those Yeah, that's a good way to put it. You gravitate to them, yeah. Hmm. Now, in a way, you say that astrology is not subjective. It's not a subjective practice of self-understanding, but some people may disagree with you. And what would you say to them? Yeah, the, the practice of paying attention to a particular energy and then properly categorizing it is not subjective because it can be externally verified. This is different than what we see with the Myers-Briggs test because there is no check and balance built into that system. Like if you take this test and it tells you that you're extroverted, how am I to know how accurate that really is? Maybe you're extroverted in some contexts and introverted in others. Right. What am I going to use to verify that? Nothing besides your subjective response to the questions. Mm -hmm. With astrology, if I, as an astrologer, can clearly perceive your psychological patterns, then I can simply check your birth chart to verify my perception. For example, Jacobus, let's say we're going to try to figure out your Mercury placement. Hmm. Mercury represents how you think, communicate, reach logical conclusions, etc. So I pay attention and I observe this about you. You are naturally pretty outgoing and optimistic in your normal day-to-day conversation. You're fascinated with both learning and teaching new concepts and exchanging insightful ideas with people who have different perspectives than you. Mm-hmm. You're That's definitely true. a teacher. You can be loquacious about things that are very important to you. And sometimes you even lose track of time when you're really involved in a conversation. <laughs> That's not true. Yeah. I'm so, okay, ask my on. wife. She is. She would say, oh, no, he's very much on time. No, no I'm way off, way off. You're so, not way off. I'm way off. <laughs> Oh, wow. What and is loquacious? I don't even loqu- know what that word Very is. talkative. Oh, really? Um, huh. can, can, be, can be long-winded in some, in some instances. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, your explanations can be described as big and sometimes grandiose. You don't typically give quick responses. Um, sometimes a simple response can turn into an adventurous story. Right. It kind of grabs your attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, your mind doesn't seem to get stuck in one fixed location, and that gives me the impression that Mercury is probably mutable in your chart. Um, there's a characteristic fluidity with multiple languages, and you seem to easily adapt to being around people with different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So according to those patterns, 
I would guess that Mercury is in the sign of Sagittarius in your chart. Hmm. It doesn't seem that you are prone to going backwards to check and recheck your thought process, which makes me think that Mercury is probably direct. So my guess would be direct Mercury and Sagittarius. What does direct or indirect mean in this case? It means from our perspective on Earth, was the planet moving in a forward motion? Oh, okay. Or was it retrograding? Was it going backwards? Oh, that's indirect. And, yeah. Oh, okay. So it's just, it's not that the planet ever actually goes backwards. It's an optical illusion from yeah. the Earth. But it does affect someone's psychological orientation to that specific planet. Hmm. Um, Mercury retrograde people who were born while the planet Mercury was retrograde, they have a different way of thinking and really? uh, conceptualizing things. Yeah, and it's a pattern that you can pick up on if you pay attention to it over time. Hmm. And so... When we're talking about external verifiability, if I check your chart, it will confirm that Mercury in Sagittarius is your placement. Um, and this is what I mean by... Mercury in Sagittarius. Right. Okay. That's what I mean by externally verifiable. I have the opportunity to check the patterns that I perceive against an objective source, which is your birth chart or the ephemeris at the moment you were born. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Huh. Wow. It's... Uh... <laughs> I, when you were talking about subjectiveness, can I ask you some questions about individual, certain individuals? Let's say we're talking about twins. Right. Yeah. How does it work with twins? Because there are certain things they do the same, they're born at the same time mm -hmm. or within minutes, and many times it is very similar. You can tell most of the time, especially when they're young, that they're very attached to each other. But still, they may have a very different personality. How is that explained if they're born under the same sign, right. same moon, same rising sign? Right. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and this was one that I had to sit with whenever I first started studying astrology because I was like, how do you account for twins? Double Twins or triplets or something, I right. guess. Right multiples of the same orientation. Yeah. Well, the there is an interesting thing that Carl Jung pointed out in his psychological evaluations of people is and the fact that we are social animals. So we have the tendency to project onto other people roles that we psychologically are not necessarily inhabiting within ourselves. So women, for example, tend to project on their husbands the role of Saturn which is the, the kind of the authority, um, and then also Mars, which is the go-getter, hmm. the dominant, you know, like. And then men will tend to project onto their wives the moon, which is the emotional nurturing mm -hmm. portion of their psyche, yeah. and also Venus, which is beauty. Beauty. And so when we think about that and how we do that in our normal day-to-day -day relationships, it's not so much of a stretch to think about twins doing that as well. Mm. These twins are born together. And so they have one psychological orientation that they both individually have, but because they're sharing space with this other entity all of the time, it becomes easy for them to project onto the other one and let the other one inhabit a specific role. Mm -hmm. So maybe one twin takes on the role of Mars, which is that mm -hmm. assertive 
kind of fighty type of energy mm-hmm. and that they're, they're perceived as the bossy one. And then the other one, as a reaction to that, will take on the role of Venus, which is the peacemaker and the agreeable one. Hmm. And But these are things that can change and adapt over time. And I think this is where the whole practice of astrology comes in, because I think psychologically it's good for every individual person to develop all parts of their own individual psyche. So... If you have twins or you know people who are twins, it's good to encourage them to develop all parts of themselves as individuals so that when they go out into different areas of life and they have to confront those things, they're equipped to do that and they don't have to rely on this other twin that they've projected. Hmm. Hmm. You know, well, they always take on the Mars role. They can right. handle, you know? Right, right. Yeah. They got it in them. Yeah. It's just they, a, they do yeah. have it in them. It's just mm-hmm. about developing it. You asked me... Before we did this interview or this podcast, you said, "Well, you talk about health. Why are you want to? Why do you want to talk about <laughs> astrology?" Yeah. And to me, if you understand more about yourself, mm. then I think that could be a tremendous blueprint mm. in choices how that you can make or why you're not into exercising or changing diets or why your digestion may not be working so well. In my opinion, astrology can be a very integral part of understanding your health challenges Mm -hmm. and why you may or may not be motivated to make changes in your life. Uh, Everybody's life will come to an end at some point. But if you have that guidance, in my opinion, that tells you why you are just naturally a strong person or a strong uh, immune health person or why you're not so challenged by diseases that come around, I think that astrology has something to do with it. Could you agree with me on that? Absolutely. And I'll, I'll tell you from my own personal perspective how I've seen that play out. So in my chart... I have a natural orientation towards uh, or a pull towards health um, and more of like nutrition, like the day-to-day regimen Mm -hmm. of maintaining my health. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because my moon and Chiron are both in my sixth house of daily health. Chiron is the asteroid. It's the asteroid. Asteroid, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's associated with being a wounded healer. And it's basically like that wherever it lands in your chart – Generally, some event happens where you have to constantly work on yourself in some regard, and you may not ever actually completely cure that part of yourself or heal that part of yourself, but in the process, you discover so much about it that you help a lot of people. Um, And so this was one of the things that was pointed out to me when I first got into astrology. The woman actually looked at one of my transits and she said, okay, when you were around 16 years old, you had Saturn transit Chiron. Um, There was probably some kind of health event that changed your orientation to your health permanently. Mm. And I was like, what? And so that was the moment that my appendix ruptured. Uh And I was talking to Marielle and some coworkers about that the other day. That that one almost killed me. Wow. Um, but it it changed my orientation to my diet and my pursuit of health permanently because now I have, you know, an autoimmune condition. I have to watch what I eat. Hmm. 
And also my moon is in the sixth house, which is my emotional nature. And so I feel more emotionally stable whenever I am, I have my daily routine. Mm-hmm. You know, I have my tea in the morning and I have my mm-hmm. things to help me relax and I have my rituals. And it was interesting because I was going through some health challenges and I went to a friend who was also practicing astrology at the time. And I was like, like, look at my chart. My chart's just going crazy. And he was like, are you actively working in the field of nutrition? And this was a time that I was taking a break from work. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I'm not actively working right now. And he was like, you have karma in that field. And because of the orientation of your moon and your Chiron, he was like, if you're not actively every day putting energy into taking care of your health and your nutrition and really focusing on maybe helping other people with that, Mm. then it's going to play out in your own life. So you can choose how those forms manifest, but unless you are like very actively concentrated on wherever energy is focused in your chart, it could show up as like unfavorable incidents. I see. Mm Mm-hmm. So in your case, it is you have to give, 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 so you're able to receive. Yeah, and it's more of like, yes, it's more being focused and keeping my energy on, focused on, am I doing the things that I need to do to take care of myself or my daily rituals in order? You know, even simple things like making the bed, I do as a ritual every day Mm -hmm. because it's something that helps to organize my mind Mm -hmm. and that helps me to go forward into the day in a, in an organized fashion. But yes, a lot of times when people's health falls apart, a lot of times what we'll see is transits to the sixth house. Mars goes into the sixth. Okay. Um, Saturn goes into the sixth, you know, Mm -hmm. some, a malefic specifically going into the sixth is going to be more of an indication of, Okay. Now we're going to have to really buckle down and pay attention to health, you know. So we, we were talking earlier about houses. Mm-hmm. And now you're telling, for example, when Mars goes into a sixth house, mm-hmm. that is very different into that sixth house than when Saturn would go into the sixth yeah. house. Mm-hmm. To complete, okay, interesting. Yeah, different energies. They bring. So the houses are there, but the planets move through that house. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then, you, then you observe. Right. Have you ever wondered then when you talk about personalities, how somebody can become a mass murderer or a criminal Mm. in life if that is astrologically determined in their blueprint that Mm. they have an opportunity to either take life or give life? Yeah, you know. I mean, I I, I know I'm asking a question. I just... (laughs) Uh, be, that is maybe hard to explain, but I, I wonder if I love this it, question. I think it's so much fun. I, you know, because I want to give you another example. We ran into uh, somebody last night, and we were talking. You had a serial killer? No, 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 <laughs> not 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 yet. Uh, but definitely a personality <laughs> issue. We ran into somebody last night, and uh, when as you were talking, I was started thinking about that conversation last mm-hmm. night because uh, this person had has made changes in his life that have really have affected his family. But if you, I wanted to ask you about a criminal. Yeah. You know, we, just, you know we, we just hear it. And I want to know if you have done any looking into that. There are some orientations that you can, some patterns in a chart that might show up in a serial killer's chart. And it's, it's not across the board. For example, somebody might carry the same energetic imprint as Ted Bundy, but not be a mass murderer. So Mm -hmm. it's really about 
a lot of the subjective influences that happened maybe early on in life that in, impacted him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, for example, Ted Bundy was, he got really into different forms of like violent pornography and that influenced him more than, you know, he would have otherwise been influenced. But I have looked at some orientations of charts and I see a lot of predominance of the mutable signs um, of sun signs. Mm. Um, so like Gemini, Pisces, Sagittarius. What's the other? <laughs> Why did I just go blank? Virgo. Virgo. Yeah. And, you know, with Ted Bundy specifically, I think his chart's fascinating. He has the moon and Mars together in the sign of Sagittarius with his son. And a Mars-Moon conjunction, anytime you see the Mars and the moon together, that's kind of like an interesting aspect. What that tells me is the moon is the emotional nature of the person, also can signify women, can also signify the mother. Mm-hmm. And Mars can signify violence, aggression, cutting, things like that. Huh. And so when you have those in a in a conjunction, you have a psychological orientation towards maybe being a little bit more comfortable with violence. Hmm. Um, that's it's not going to play out that way in every single person. No. But in that particular instance it did. Hmm. Have you done any looking when you look at war? And we talk, for example, if you watch uh, the movie Saving Private Ryan and you see these American soldiers and Marines in their lifeboats coming towards the coast of Normandy and they're just being mowed down. Is there any... If I wonder if there is anything specific. Obviously, you cannot study these individual soldiers, but is there could there be something individually in the charts that this was going to happen in the life and mm. we're talking thousands of people at the same time who are being killed or you have a, a, a natural disaster mm. where so many people are being yeah that's killed. a good question um i haven't looked into the astrology of like mass murders or the the individual ast- astrological charts of the people who were killed at a specific period of time yeah. i don't know what the overlap is there you can generally look at the current transits and see if there mm. are specific difficult transits going on. Uh-huh. For example, there was a Saturn-Pluto conjunction in 1914 that kicked off World War One. Yeah. And, yeah, that Saturn-Pluto conjunction is a doozy. <laughs> that's, you, that's associated with a lot of other events as well. Have you looked at COVID charts? Yes. Charts. Yeah. Did you say that is interesting that that started there in January, February of 2020 mm-hmm. and that it uh, would last roughly two years? Um, is that something that uh, that you can say something about? Maybe I'm going off topic, but I... I, I no, that one's <laughs> good. Things come up. Yeah. So... And again, I want to go back to a mentioned Earl of Nostradamus. Somehow he predicted things that over time have mm-hmm. become very, uh, that have happened right. very close to when he predicted. And that would be more the, the Vedic astrology, if we talk about it that way, predicting what may happen in the future, where you're talking about more the Western astrology. Yeah. But I still am wondering if you have found anything in looking at charts or looking at astrology uh, that yeah. that could explain 
why COVID happened. Yeah. So the Saturn-Pluto conjunction, it happened in the tropical zodiac sign of Capricorn, and that Mm -hmm. occurred in January of 2020. Yeah. And so... COVID-19 surfaced, and a couple of months later, it was declared a global pandemic. From knowing the astrological language alone, we knew that there was likely going to be an event that was potentially big and catastrophic in nature, as indicated by Pluto, and that would also restrict or completely reorder life for a period of time, which is indicated by Saturn. There were plenty of astrologers who were making predictions about that specific conjunction years in advance, and some of them who had studied previous cycles that were similar to this one throughout history, and they nailed it when they said it would be some kind of epidemic. The information that most of us had to go on was based on the events which occurred in previous times that those two planets came together in a conjunction. I I mentioned one, yeah, I mentioned one, which was 1914, and that was the start of World War I. 1947 was the start of the Cold War. 1982 was the outbreak of the AIDS epidemic accompanied by an economic recession. And then 2020 was COVID. And our next hit of those two planets coming together in a conjunction happens in 2053. So we don't specifically know what that one's going to be about yet, but we do know what kind of archetypes we're working with. So those are which one? Which planet? Pluto? Pluto and Saturn. Pluto and Saturn. Yeah, and if you're interested in the correlation of astrological transits with historically significant events, there's a very thick book written by an astrologer and professor. His name is Richard Tarnas, and you should check that one out. This book is called Cosmos and Psyche, and it's very Hmm. thorough. Hmm. Cosmos and Psyche. And Psyche. Tarnas? Richard Tarnas? T-A-R-N-I-S-C-H? T-A-R-N-A-S. Um, wow, so this is uh, this is good. I, I, I like this because I'm curious to hear about twins, how that works, and if there has been any studies done on people who have done some evil stuff on this planet. And I was wondering about what if so many people die all at once? And, and yeah, God, that is, uh, hmm. So what do you think is the biggest mistake that people make when learning about astrology? Obviously, I learned it from looking in the newspaper and mm-hmm. seeing what my sign was for the day. Yeah. Oh, I know what my sign is, but what my read was for the day. And it it almost never makes any sense to me. <laughs> so what do you think is the biggest mistake that people make yeah, when I mean, they talk about astrology? You nailed that one. Okay. Um, so one thing I, I encounter pretty frequently is a lot of people read horoscopes based on their sun sign. Horoscopes are actually written based on your rising sign. And the reason for that is because the time you were born sets up your charts so that each domain of life or house corresponds with a particular sign. So if you want to accurately read your horoscope in order to know which areas of life are going to be most affected by the various transits, then you'll need to know your time of birth. Let's say, for example, you were born in January and you have an Aquarius sun, but maybe you have Leo rising. In that case, you read the Leo horoscope, even though these signs are completely opposite to one another. Okay. Yeah. So in my case, I should read the Scorpio. You should read the Scorpio. Oh. Yeah. Huh. I was way off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, and another mistake that I see for those who become superficially interested in astrology is the propensity to fall for the Barnum effect. 
For anyone who isn't familiar with that term, the Barnum effect is the tendency to accept certain information as true, such as a vague character assessment or badly written horoscopes, even when the information is so vague as to be worthless. Barnum statements lack clarity and precision, and as a result, they fail to distinguish between patterns. They are too broad to be useful, so we automatically have to disregard them. And like Mm -hmm. I said, a lot of people who get into sun sign astrology, which is a more superficial use of the practice, tend to fall for the Barnum effect. They hear something that they want to hear that can make their life better if it were true, so they instantly invest a belief in it without much critical thought. Mm. So there is a difference between astrology and horoscope. Um, horoscopes are a part of astrology. Um, it's basically an astrologer will write out a horoscope or talk, uh, uh, talk out a horoscope based on the orientation of the chart. So based on the rising sign. Okay. Okay. Oh, cool. So is this something that happened to you, for example, if you talk about this concept, um, that happened to you when you first started learning about the, astrology. Uh, what was your experience then? So that again, I I realized that is definitely the knowledge that you have, but then interpreting in in your own life, and see why certain things have happened in your own life. So what was it in in that case that's that that w- when you first started with astrology, what happened? Yeah. So I wouldn't say necessarily that I fell for the Barnum effect that I'm aware of. Um, but I do think I've really tried hard to practice astrology with some discernment. For a lot of people, it's like a fun side hobby that they can whip out at parties and start a conversation or mingle with other people. But for me, it's more like a serious practice of meditating on life. And I haven't always been this way. I wasn't ever really exposed to astrology, like I said, until my early 20s when I went to college. Um, And even then, I only learned about it through the lens of traditional psychology. Right. And so I was really skeptical and I disregarded it and I was like, no. And I'm not proud to admit it, but for many years, I was the standard closed-minded supercritic when it came to astrology. I would say that, you know, I judged it way before I invested time into learning anything about it. And now, I guess my karma, I encounter people all the time who make this mistake. So for that reason, I'm probably a little bit more gracious with critics um, I didn't actually start studying astrology until my late 20s when my Saturn return happened. Uh, do you notice, by the way, that you magnetize certain individuals, certain signs that somehow are attracted to you more yes. than others? Yeah, there. I definitely see that you pull in certain energies based on the orientation of your chart. It's kind of like you can walk into a crowded room yeah, and there will be maybe a few people in the room that you're really drawn to for some reason, some inexplicable reason. And it doesn't yeah. necessarily have to be a romantic attraction or anything. There's just like, that person has an energy. What is that? And then there's like a whole bunch of people that you totally ignore. Like you don't see them at all. Right. Um, and then Don't even know they were there. Right. And there yeah. are people in between. And it, I really feel like that's just your psyche resonating at a certain frequency that you're projecting and they're picking up on and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And there are overlaps. Have you done any, when you talk, if you actually communicate with these individuals, do you notice that... There are certain signs in their astrological chart that explain why you have been attracted to them? 
Yeah. So for example, I noticed when I first started getting into astrology, I had dated people who had cancer sun quite a bit. And I actually brought it up to my that astrologer whenever I first started seeing her. And I was like, what is that about? What is the cancer? Yeah. Well, the thing is I have Capricorn rising. And so that puts cancer on my seventh house cusp. Okay. And your seventh house is your orientation to partner in relationships. Right. You will mention that. Yeah. And it's not always, they, they don't, your partner doesn't always necessarily have to have their son or any other planets in that that sign necessarily. It's just that that's the energy that you exude in in relationship to another individual on a in a one-on-one context. Okay. So, you know, maybe my personality is a little bit more Capricorn. It's just like kind of serious and sometimes very organized and maybe a little rigid. But w- a little, <laughs> a little. But in relationships, like if I if I had a significant other at the time, they would it would be a very soft and nurturing type of orientation to relationships. So it's really interesting that whatever your rising sign is, you manifest kind of the opposite in a partner to kind oh. of balance you out. So the right, okay. I'm just trying to think now. So again, I have to go back to myself. So uh, if I'm a Scorpio rising, then I would attract to balance me out more like a Taurus. Yeah. So the energy that you'll bring in in friendships, close friendships, or the even the energy that you bring to partnership is kind of like a Taurus energy. So more stable, grounded, stubborn Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I had to just throw that, that, that one would in there. then be the 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 uh, rising sign of that individual of the other individual, or would it be a sun sign of you that know, individual? That's an interesting question. I've personally found that the opposite rising signs I don't really like so much. Okay. in relationships. Okay. So if the other person has Cancer rising. Yeah, not that one's it's so difficult because that completely rearranges their psychological orientation. Huh. Um, mm. So it's exactly opposite of like the whatever I'm going through, they're going through the exact opposite. So mm. it's more of like their sun sign or their moon sign or their Mars or Venus or some kind of personal planet falls in your seventh house. I mean, even if it's if it's any planet. Because Falling. the seventh house had to do with relationships. Yeah. Right? yeah. And and it's not always that I'm just pulled to people with cancer energy. It's it's all types of people depending on what's going on in my life. So in my career, my career house is Libra. So I'm going to be more pulled to people who have Libra type of energy. Mm-hmm. So example, your, your moon is in the sign of Libra. And right. here we are doing this podcast. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah which is putting kind of my name out into the world, like up, out. Right, right. Now, one of the things that you mentioned is this planet Saturn. You keep talking about Saturn mm. return. Explain Saturn return, please, and, and, and how did it impact you uh, regarding studying astrology? Right. So Saturn returns to its original place in orbit every 28 to 30 years. It's going to go around from our perception here on Earth. It goes all the way around the zodiac and comes back to its original place when you're around 28 years old. 
it happens oh, again. Okay. Yeah, it happens again. So it makes a pretty wide turn around mm -hmm. the sun. Yeah. This is uh, a slow-moving planet. Saturn oh, I is, see. Saturn is the furthest out of the inner planets. Oh, that's right. It is further away than, than Jupiter. Right, yeah. Right, okay. So it's, oh. it is the, the, the last of the visible planets um, that we can see with the naked eye. Right. And so it takes a long time to go around. And so Saturn... Um, your Saturn return marks the beginning of the next 30 year cycle in your life. So it's oh. a, it's a really big deal. Yeah. And it represents a significant milestone in life because of the major role change that follows from that transit. The major correlation we see with this transit is the grounding of the psyche. People begin to consciously integrate a sense of responsibility in their lives, oh, wow. meaning they realize that it's time for them to shoulder all of their own burdens. It's time to grow up and be an adult. Um, this is the age where we slowly and often with great resistance learn to develop a more self-motivated drive to work hard. Often this hard work ethic is inspired by an internal drive to contribute something meaningful to the world. This is when people start getting in touch with the legacy that they want to leave behind. Huh. Now, this doesn't usually happen overnight. This legacy is something that you build one brick at a time for the next 30 years. Oh. But your Saturn return typically marks the beginning of your commitment to this process. Yeah. And you mentioned the age 28 earlier. What does 28 uh, years have to do with it? 28 to 30. Because 28 to 30. Okay. Yeah. Saturn, Saturn doesn't have a completely um, perfect orbit. Yeah. It's a little bit wonky. And because of that, because of the wonk, if you will, it's um, the timing of it is a little bit off. So it could happen when you're 28, 29, 30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And wow, so that's a, such an interesting planet then. It is. It's fascinating because, I mean, you probably think it's interesting because it rules your sun. It rules yeah. the sign of Capricorn. Hmm. Um, and and it marks these 20-year What do you mean it rules the uh, sun of Capricorn? Um, so every planet is associated with different signs. Um, Venus is associated with the planet Libra and, or I'm sorry, with the sign of Libra and Taurus. Okay. Yeah, Saturn mm -hmm. is associated with Capricorn and in traditional astrology also Aquarius. Oh. And Saturn is the taskmaster. It's the the authority figure. It's time to time to buckle down and do the work and, and work hard and grow up and <laughs> It makes it sound to me all of a sudden that understanding astrology motivates you to live a full life. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So people who are going through, well, why am I alive and I'd rather be dead. Right. If they would understand astrology and realize yeah. their responsibilities in life mm -hmm. and what it, that there is something that they have to offer. Yeah. And maybe it has been developed or has not been developed. That's, uh, th that's just a thought that pops in my mind. Yeah. It gives so much more value to your life. Or is do I say that now because <laughs> I am... A Capricorn sun, and so I've been influenced quite a bit by Saturn. Um, that I have that feeling all of a sudden more and more about uh, here I am in my 60s. Yeah. That I feel more responsible about things right? I need to do for life. Well, every 30 years you go through a Saturn return, and yeah. so your role in life changes. Hmm. So you went from, from 30 to 60 really building your legacy and really working on 
a certain type of thing. You know, you built your family, yeah. you saw your kids, you know, get out into the world. Yeah. You built your business. And now moving into 60, it's like, or in your 60s, it's like, what do I have to share and build for the next 30 years? And a yeah. lot of times that 60 to 90 time frame is about sharing the wisdom that you've accumulated with younger generations so that they can continue right. building a world that's worth living in. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. So we, we look now at the the way you explain it, but... Can somebody believe in astrology? Mm -hmm. Is it science or is it, can you actually believe? It, it makes a lot of sense to me, mm -hmm. but do people believe, do you believe in astrology? Yeah. So my personal motto is believe nothing but entertain possibilities. I hear so many people say things like, I believe in astrology or I don't believe in astrology. And this is always the moment that I want to halt the conversation and ask them, what do you mean when you say you believe in something? So I recently Googled the question, what does it mean to believe in something? And I got a really interesting two-part answer. Do you want to hear it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so part one was a belief system is a set of beliefs or principles that helps us interpret our everyday reality, understand, organize, and make sense of the world. And when I'm thinking about astrology, this is the part of the definition that I can get down with. Because it's my experience that astrology is an effective conceptual model for helping to explain some pretty complex things about the way that humans are. And so I do see astrology as being a set of guiding principles that helps me to interpret and organize my understanding of other people and myself. But there's a second part of the definition for belief system that just doesn't resonate with me, at least not when it comes to talking about astrology. Yeah. And the second part of the definition is a belief system is a network of beliefs that we each hold about what is or should be right and wrong and what is or should be true or false. Hmm. And I don't really like that part. Why of not? Yeah. I mean, my beef with, with that I mean, is... I mean, I personally am more attracted indeed to the first definition. Mm -hmm. uh, when I heard it, it sounds more... Uh, spontaneous, fluid, that makes total sense. Yeah. The second one sounds a little bit more fabricated. Maybe like it's we the really way I thought said about it. it. <laughs> oh, yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, my beef with it is is the should part of it. Astrology is not a practice which tells you how you should morally conduct yourself in the world. It's more explanatory than anything, mm. meaning that it helps to make sense of events as they unfold in your life. Yeah. If anything, astrology has only created more open-mindedness in me. Yeah. From my perspective, a practice or a belief system is worth keeping around if it adds value to your life, if it expands your conscious mm -hmm. awareness of reality. I agree. And if it's useful. Mm -hmm. And when I began studying astrology back in 2016, I started to learn that certain mannerisms and people were often associated with difficult aspects in their chart. So from this, I learned that people are complex and complexity can be a beautiful thing when it is properly cultivated, which is something that you can do with a good astrological practice. Hmm. Hmm. So you believe in it? I would call it more of a practice, like yoga or meditation or mantras, um, something that you use as a means of deepening your understanding of yourself and the world around you. It's, mm. it's not something that I use to judge the moral virtue of other people. And that's another thing that astrology has really taught me, that the universe is neutral. 
Good and bad are man-made interpretations of reality. There's only the movement of energy. How we use the energy and how we decide to interpret those uses are completely up to us, both as individuals and the collective. Hmm. I asked you much earlier if we only use the planets of our own solar system, and you mm -hmm. said that's what I use. You just mentioned universe. I was just wondering if anybody has ever done astrology on something bigger than just our little solar system. Other or, solar systems. Because the universe is infinite, as I believe. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting. The way that astrology works is once we become aware of a planet's existence, yeah. then we start to pay attention to its psychological impacts or its influences on people. And it's not necessarily that that planet is influencing people, but we pay attention to its transit and what happens in people's lives when that planet transits. Yeah. So when we became aware of Mars, we started to pay attention. What happens when Mars transits? And mm -hmm. we're like, hmm, maybe mm -hmm. some violence or some aggression or some right. movement of stagnation. There, yeah. you know, all kinds of things happen when. And so that's how we started to organize our understanding. So it's possible that if we became aware of other planets in our solar system or out, I, mean, I don't know if it would be out of our solar system, I'm not sure, right. um, that it would change our psychological yeah, orientation I don't, I don't to ourselves. Know. I don't know why we would have to figure this out. I mean, there will come a point when we maybe transcend time and space and we can move ourselves wherever we want to go. It's interesting, astrology has a lot to do with, uh, I see practicality, but also uh, energy. It, it, is, it, is, it is a lot of talk about energy. Have you ever had any feelings about men trying to go to Mars right now, discovering Mars, mm. what that would mean? Because now you're physically going to a planet. Yeah. So I wonder what the physical, the physicality would be of uh, being on the moon or being on a planet on, on a human being. Is that is that something that you have ever read about? You know, I I don't know what kind of physical impact that would have on a person or psychological impact that yeah, would have on a yeah, person yeah. to be oriented to the universe from a different perspective. I I think it would be it's a neat thought experiment. But when you started mentioning this, the thing that popped into my mind is Elon Musk and his chart is really interesting. He has a pretty tight conjunction with Mars and the North Node in the sign of Aquarius. And Aquarius has to do with kind of like futuristic endeavors and technology and what we are utilizing as a society in order to progress ourselves forward. Hmm. And Mars is that planet of we we got to do things, we got to take action, we got to move things in a certain direction. And when you have Mars with the North Node, this is a person that um, can pretty efficiently manifest what they want in the world according to what they want. And if you look the way that he's built his businesses, right. it's been through pretty risky endeavors. It's yeah, like he'll yeah, take a yeah. risk, he goes all in, it turns out well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How did that happen? Yeah. You know, um, and now it's I think it's fascinating that this he has this orientation of Mars with the North Node and he's literally trying to What do you do mean the, with the North Node? The North Node is kind of it's a point in astrology. Okay. Um especially if you're using evolutionary astrology. You have the North Node and the South Node. The South Node represents the energy that you maybe came in with more 
uh, you have a natural psychological orientation towards that area of life, but it's almost like it's been overplayed. Um, And so there is a kind of a a karmic draw towards the North Node. Now, this this is a fascinating thing that I've seen. It's almost like wherever the North Node is in your chart you don't have as much karmic backlash with your activities and endeavors oh, in that area of life. You mm-hmm. can kind of do whatever you want. And that's what he, for He's kind of doing whatever he mm-hmm. wants, which is really fascinating. But he's he has the North Node, which is go out and do this thing and manifest yourself in this particular way with the planet Mars. And he's trying to literally go to Mars. Mm. So I just I just thought that that was all neat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, cool, cool, cool. So the practice of astrology, if you had to summarize it in just a few sentences, how would you how would you do that? Um, the practice of astrology. Yeah. I like to think of astrology as a type of pattern recognition ability. It's the practice of recognizing archetypes and then looking at the map, which in this case is the astrological chart, to clarify your understanding of the events that occur around you. So mm-hmm. it's not only recognizing archetypal patterns, it's also the practice of understanding what those events mean to you in your own subjective reality. Mm-hmm. And this is why so many people use astrology as a conceptual model to make sense of reality. Wow. So pattern recognition ability. I, I can see that now because there are certain planets. This is your blueprint. So there are certain characteristics, personality characteristics, perhaps certain habits that I would have in my life or all of us will have in our life because that makes us either comfortable or because that's just the way it is from astrology, I would say. Yeah. Right? So uh, what do you mean then when you say that astrology is based on that? Why is it based? Why is it not that the patterns are based on astrology? Why is astrology based on the patterns? Mm, yeah. When we talk about pattern recognition, that's an executive function of the mind that we use to give us some kind of advantage in whatever area of life we're working with. Um, you can think of any discipline that requires you to recognize patterns in order to succeed at that particular practice. We can use the example of individuals who regularly trade in the stock market as an example. Right. Their success in the financial market is contingent on their ability to read the dynamic fluctuations of the market. Right. Um, the comparison that I make most frequently is to a master chess player. We tend to think of chess players as being brilliant people. And maybe not all chess players, but the good ones certainly have mastered the ability to recognize certain patterns in the game, which give them the advantage of utilizing various strategies in order to win against their opponent. When it comes to chess, in most cases, the winner is the person with the best ability to recognize patterns. And this is exactly what astrology is all about. You have to really study the indications of the planets, the houses, the signs, and the aspects and then it only gets more complicated from there. But those four topics are the foundation of understanding astrology. The actual practice of astrology requires you to sit back and observe the people and events around you. And once you practice it enough, you start to recognize the patterns. You can pick up on people's energy, which gives you a slightly better understanding of how they perceive reality. So are you a visual learner yourself? I would be more a visual yeah. learner. So yeah, I have maybe. to, when you mentioned earlier, pizza pie yeah. <laughs> with a slice, I get it. Um, 
is it more that, that that you have that too, or is it just you look at the words and you 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 get it? You know, there is something about learning visually that really imprints in my mind. It's like um, I can start to kind of conceptually understand uh, someone's energy. But whenever I see it in an astrological chart, it's burned into my mind. Like I can't forget it if I want to. That's like you said, you're like a, this, uh, this uh, photographic memory. I'm like the rain man of astrology. <laughs> <laughs> Counting cards. Yeah. I'll take you to uh, Vegas. All right. Yeah. Let's go. So then what, what, how does astrology work? Uh, so we have the pattern recognition. But is it that the planets in space are exerting their gravitational force on humans and then influence them on things? Or how would you say that it works? You mentioned Saturn spinning in a large circle mm -hmm. or oval. I don't know how it spins. Right. But you wouldn't expect that Saturn has some gravitational power like planet Earth has, or the moon. When when we get closer to the moon, there was, even though we only are one-sixth of the weight that we usually are, but there is this gravitational pull from the moon when you come closer. But from the distance that we are from the moon or from Saturn or Jupiter, you wouldn't expect that there's gravitational pull. Or am I seeing that wrong? Yeah. It's gravitational pulled from the sun. Right. So in astrology... We're deriving our understanding of events from a correlation model, uh -huh. meaning that we watch an, an event unfold and then we correlate it with the order of the planets at that moment in time. Causation has nothing to do with it. Astrologers are not claiming that the gravitational pull of Mars somehow affects your mood in such a way that you suddenly become violent or aggressive. And this is where the concept of synchronicity comes into play. This concept is important because this is what the whole practice of astrology is based on. Synchronicity is the simultaneous occurrence of events which appear to be somehow related but mm. have no discernible causal connection. Okay. In other words, we don't know why the planet Mars is associated with the portion of the psyche that's responsible for action, initiative, courage, movement, cutting, war, battle, competition, etc. Astrologers have simply figured this out by watching the events that occur when Mars transits specific points in the sky or in a person's natal chart. And these observations have been consistent among countless astrologers for the past several thousand years. Anyone can observe these patterns. Hmm. To me, it, it, it still, still, it's fascinating that somebody picked up on this at some point right. in time. You said 5,000 years Somebody else got inspired by that as well, and right. it's, it just has kept going. Yeah, I mean, but it, is it really that much of a stretch, though? Because there are people that can pick apart a uh, an engine in a car. That, that just blows my mind. I'm like, what are you, how do you know what things go together? It becomes more complicated with computers, obviously. Right, with, it, right. with so there are so is... many things that are so complex, and you just, like, look at those people, and you're like, this is fascinating. How do they recognize the patterns? Well, we're all wired in a particular way to be able to recognize certain patterns. Hmm. If you talk about a car or you talk about a computer, then you have to be mechanically inclined mm -hmm. and you have to understand and study a lot of facts. Mm -hmm. And that is considered science. Mm -hmm. Would you consider astrology a science? Mm. I do think the pure practice of astrology is scientific 
because astrologers have created this conceptual model doing precisely what scientists do. They observe events and then report them as objectively as possible. Right. In other words, astrologers simply observe how things play out, and then we look at the order of the planets at that given moment in time, and we what we often find is that there is a synchronistic overlap between the particular planets and what they signify. The unscientific part comes from the fact that we are working with archetypes, which are very abstract by nature and can't be pinned down into one single form manifestation. And I think now's a good opportunity for me to define what I mean by archetypes. Archetypes are recurrent symbols or motifs in literature, art, or mythology. In Jungian psychology, an archetype is a primitive mental image that is present in the collective unconscious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For example, beauty is an archetype. It's a theme that we can conceptually understand, and it points generally to things which have a pleasant aesthetic form. However, we cannot point to any one specific thing and say that alone is beauty. Okay. It's more of a concept that permeates various different forms. Mm. For example, you will find the archetype of beauty in a sunrise, in the paintings on your walls in your house, mm. or in a symmetrical face. Archetypes are essential for our ability to see the world from a top-down perspective and to help us create a conceptual model of reality in our own minds. Right. However, this doesn't fit well into the scientific model because pure scientific analysis doesn't do well with concepts that are too vast or abstract. Yeah, that, uh, that makes a lot of sense. How can we check the scientific validity of astrology? Well, there are ways to scientifically verify astrology, but the trouble with it is that it's not consistent because it depends on the ability of the individual astrologer to accurately recognize the pattern and name it accordingly. I know plenty of astrologers who are really good at identifying the patterns they see. For example, one astrologer friend comes to mind. This guy can walk up to a person, take one good look at them, and say something like, you have Scorpio rising and your moon is in Libra. He has honed his ability to identify specific patterns in people at a relatively high rate just by looking at their facial features, mm. their physical body, the way they walk and carry themselves, and sometimes by their speech patterns. Wow. But of course, he has studied this for years and has trained his brain to do this. And although that's an impressive skill set, I don't know anyone, not even this guy, that can nail it 100% of the time. And then say scientifically, mm -hmm. this is why I can tell you that. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. But still, how do we, how could we check if it is scientific? There has a lot of books written about it. Yeah, I right? mean, so that is that we cannot deny that the planets are around the planet Earth, and that there is a sun and a moon, and they're all rotating in a certain mm -hmm. way. So that is scientifically proven. Yeah, we do know that the the planets are in a specific position in the sky at various different moments in time, and we can predict where they're going to be. Um, as far as the practice of astrology and the interpretation aspect of astrology goes and whether or not it's scientific, you know, the, the human variable makes it difficult. The fact that you're working with archetypes makes it difficult as a scientific discipline. But what you can rely on is the fact that you are reading specific energetic patterns and then translating those and then looking at an objective chart to verify whether or not 
that was accurate. So basically, you're just checking your own perception. And I think that that's, in my view, that's scientific. If you read, if you go to PubMed, for example, published medical journals, pubmed.gov, pubmed.org, P-U-B-M-E-D, you see thousands and thousands of peer-reviewed studies about something. And there will be a title that will say, prostate cancer is caused by blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. That's a title. Right. Now, a lot of people are drawn in by a title and they say, oh, the truth is this, this, this. What the title says, that's the truth. Mm -hmm. Then you start reading the study, mm -hmm. the methodology, the amount of people who were involved. And then you, they say, well, 75% of the cases, this is true. So mm. it probably, it, the probability mm. is 75%. Right. Now, then you, that, that could be an approved study, right? Approved. It's, it's published. You could also have that somebody will say, wait a second, who did the study? Right? Was it a pharmaceutical company that was trying to sell something? And they want to promote this. So they did 12 different studies. They paid millions of dollars for the study. And they threw out the ones that were too good to be true mm -hmm. and the ones that were really horrible. Right. So they picked the ones that really worked for them. And that's what we're looking at. Mm. So is it scientific? Well, it's published yeah. as science. Cherry picked. Cherry picked. So in a way, when I look at astrology... It, to me, it only makes sense that the probability of things recurring, the patterns that you were talking about earlier, show me that 5,000 years of trying to understand patterns and align that with the, the rotation of the planets around the sun mm -hmm. and the way the position of the, of the planet Earth is. Right. To me, it mm -hmm. makes it very scientific. Right. And then you have the also the factor of it's been a whole bunch of astrologers over thousands of yeah. years. It wasn't just one guy, one loony bin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, you Copernicus. Know, yeah. <laughs> who came up with something. It was a lot of people that are perceiving this information. Mm -hmm. So if we look at that, if we, uh, I, to me, it's scientific. To you, it's scientific. I think many people who are listening could say, yeah, if you look at it that way, I would say the probability is such and such because there is no absolute science. Because they're already saying if science shows that something is true, then it is the task of science to prove it's not true or that it can be improved on, right? right? Science is not static. It's, it's right. always changing. Mm -hmm. So and to me then astrology is very scientific. But if that is the case, how do you think people could benefit from practicing astrology? Mm, yeah, this one is a, it's a much bigger, more expansive question, I think. Um, I think we're living in a time where people are rapidly abandoning organized religion and I think that's a natural consequence of living in the age of reason, where logic and rationalism and concrete facts take precedence over previously embraced religious ideologies. Mm -hmm. And to me, that seems understandable. People want to invest their time and faith in a system that makes sense at the end of the day. 
Because otherwise, if you continue to follow a religious discipline without ever allowing yourself to question its validity, then you end up ignoring essential facts. And when you do that, you start walking around in a state of cognitive dissonance because you're practicing something that you don't truly believe in. And nobody wants that. So it's understandable that people are leaving behind traditional religions that have asked them to operate solely on faith despite the lack of reason. Mm. Now, with that being said, losing your religion is problematic because organized religion actually plays a key psychological role in the modern human mind. Right. Religion is the method by which we as a species have explained and made sense of larger existential questions since the beginning of human history. Mm. And the lack of organized religious structure comes with a huge spike in nihilism, which is that sense that life is meaningless, as well as higher rates of suicidality in modern culture. My point with all of this is to say that it's absolutely imperative that we come up with some kind of conceptual model that is based in a scientific discipline so that we can reasonably invest ourselves in it, but it is still expansive enough to help us address the big questions like, what is the point of my existence and how should I be living my life? Mm. I'm not saying that astrology is the answer for everyone, but for me, it has been worth my time and energy to learn these principles and develop this practice. So much of what I've learned through astrology has helped me to make sense of really complex issues after I lost my connection to organized religion. At the end of the day, I just feel very strongly that it's important for everyone to have some way to make sense of the world around them. And astrology does that for me, and I'm really grateful for it. Right, right, right. I sometimes, Dave said, I forgot who it was, he said that religion is opium of the, for the people. Yeah. And I do believe that if you open the mind and start studying things that have been around for a long time as well, that you start finding answers that may fill in the gap where you have your doubts. Mm. Because faith is important, but you need to understand what you have faith in. It is okay to have faith the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, mm -hmm. right? That gives for many people this feeling of there is light at the end of the tunnel. Right. And that is the hope mm -hmm. that we have to understand why we're in the tunnel or why we're in that predicament. There is so much information. Libraries have been written. And to therefore exclude astrology, the fact that there is a universe around us that we're part of. So to me, science is an important part, but astrology, in my opinion, is a missing piece of the puzzle for many people to understand life better, right. to understand what the light at the end of the tunnel could be like. And the, to understand why they got in a predicament and why they're ending up in relationships that are challenging and why they end up in a job they like or they don't like or why they have found a passion at a certain early age or why it took them a while to find a passion. Mm -hmm. To me, things that you are explaining here are absolutely fascinating to me. Every time you speak, I'm trying to, uh, I said earlier, I'm visualizing. I always try to visualize it into 
the world in which I live, how my world, how it affects my life, etc. More people will do this because that's how we're put together. Right. Especially if you listen to a podcast, you want to say, well, I want to learn, right? right? And it has to be practical. And so I, to me, to me, how you can benefit from practicing astrology is don't deny it. Don't yeah. deny it, number one. And, and maybe see somebody who does astrology like yourself mm-hmm. and just say, okay, explain to me something about myself. These are my coordinates. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's the whole philosophy of believe nothing but yeah. entertain the possibility that it could be a thing. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And 5,000 years have shown that it was a thing. Yeah. And for some, for a lot of people, it means something. So to ignore it mm-hmm. in a way would be childish. If you look at that, can you, can you talk about planets or a specific example, maybe how a planet can correlate with certain behaviors in people, but not necessarily be the cause of that issue. Right. Yeah. Like I mentioned earlier, um, astrology is based on a correlation model. So not causation. So we're not saying that the planets cause you to anything to do anything. So let's take the moon, for example. It would be inaccurate for an astrologer to say something like, the full moon is going to cause people to become emotionally unhinged and crazy. It would be much more accurate for the astrologer to say, When the moon is full, there's often a correlation with higher levels of unchecked emotionalism in the collective. So pay attention to your moods and how you feel and make sure you're doing everything that you can to keep yourself emotionally regulated Mm. so that your unconscious pain bodies are not what is driving your actions during the next couple of days. Because usually I see a lot of people flying on broomsticks around. Right. uh, (laughs) Of course. Yeah. (laughs) You know that there is an association with the the word lunatic. Um, oh, lunar! It comes from yeah. lunar. Yeah, 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 yeah. lunatic. Yeah. And it's associated with that that full moon. So, yeah. um, but while we're on the subject of the full moon and its correlation to emotionalism, astrologers have actually observed a correlation between lunar cycles and psychiatric emergency room visits. So there was a 2011 mm. study that was published by the National Institute of Health. Yeah. And See, it looked interesting. Yeah. It looked at more than 5400 patients. Data revealed that there was a small increase in the number of visits to psychiatric emergency rooms during the full moon. Mm. And there was an even stronger statistical correlation between that larger number of cases of severe illness and aggressive behaviors during the new moon phase. Mm, which is two weeks later. Mm-hmm. So new moon is when it's pretty much dark out. Right. 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 And from an astrological standpoint, this information didn't surprise me because I'm aware of the archetypal patterns of the moon, and I have seen how influential lunar transits can be in an individual's chart as well as its impact on the collective. Mm. Now, of course, this is where people really want to jump in and start hypothesizing about why the moon has had such a noticeable impact on people. Some researchers theorize that the underlying causes could be attributed to changes in neural endocrine function and and how that is impacted by the gravitational pull of the moon. Yeah, yeah. But from my perspective, I think it's really important for astrologers to just basically practice their discipline, which entails 
simply making the observations because that's the scientific part. Oh, uh, yeah. And I think it's important for astrologers to know where their knowledge ends and to be able to draw that line clearly for people. And by that, I mean astrologers should be able to say, we can observe that there are significant correlations between the placement of various planets and the unfolding of events. However, we cannot explain why that happens. Mm. It's interesting that you study psychology and you were also talking about how Carl Jung was so um, influ not influenced, but how, how he was so much in awe with astrology and he was able to use it. So I can understand why people, when somebody, a professional like yourself, talks about astrology, that they would like to say, well, how does it exactly interpret in my case? And so then automatically you have to try to explain the words you just said to the, to mm. the customer mm -hmm. or client to explain it further in order to right. give an example, right? Yeah. So that, that could be emotionally helpful for people yeah. to either accept or... Do you also notice that when you work with people that they don't like to hear the negative stuff? Some people... I mean, negative stuff is like uh, the challenges that you're going to end up with. Uh, yeah. Or is there a way to say it? Um, well, there's always a way to say things, yeah. right? <laughs> um, but there are individuals who don't necessarily want to hear the bad things and mm -hmm. you can tell where the, the blocks in their mind are. And for that kind of thing, it's like, I'm not going to sit here and harp on a transit that you don't want to know about, but I, and it's not necessarily a, a therapy session. I'm not trying to break down your walls. It's more. Right, right. Now, you, you, you say that it's not your role or the astrologer roles to know why planetary transits correlate with specific events, but if you had to guess, what would your guess be as to why certain synchronicities happen? Yeah, there are plenty of theories out there. I think the most commonly embraced theory by astrologers is what you said earlier. It's as above, so below. It's this concept that the entire universe is ordered in some fundamental way that is really beyond our limited understanding. That's kind of like trying to make sense of the Fibonacci sequence or the golden ratio and how this incredible pattern repeatedly shows up everywhere in nature, in minerals, in flowers, in seashells, in waves, in fingerprints, in the shape of a developing fetus. And I mean, the list goes on and on. Yeah. And what I'm saying is that there appears to be an inherent ordering to the universe that is holding everything together and making sense of it as it unfolds. And we can observe something about this order in patterns, both on earth and in the sky above us. Mm -hmm. How that order exists and constantly replicates itself in a multitude of different contexts is beyond my limited understanding. And I'm okay with that because this language of astrology has shown me that I can interact with these complex patterns as they unfold. Mm -hmm. I may not know why they are happening or what caused them, but I get to actively observe them and make notes. And that's good enough for me. Maybe one day our collective knowledge will expand to the point that we can fully understand, you know, what underlies this inherent order of the universe. But mm -hmm. until that day comes... I think we have to be content with what's right in front of us. Hmm. Wow. So if you tell people, if you inspire people to 
learn more about astrology, how would you suggest them not to practice astrology? I'm sure there is people who use it a certain way in the very beginning of the talk. We talked about Western astrology and Eastern astrology. How, what is your tip? What, what not to do? Yeah. I would say stay away from horoscopes or astrologers who make Barnum statements like, well, here's an example. Something that you have been waiting for will happen shortly and you will feel more confident. That's, that's too vague. Okay. Um, it could pretty much universally be applied to anyone and there is really no specific proof. Hmm. Ideally, you want the astrologer to point to the specific houses or areas of life where planets are transiting, and and to relay to you the archetypal significance of those transits. Yeah. And they can talk to you about possible specific manifestations, but don't expect them to be definitive about what exactly is happening or will happen according to what they see. Astrologers are not psychics who have access to every detail of your life. They're simply pattern readers, so it's important to gauge your expectations going into it. I see. Huh. All right. That makes sense. Uh, what else would you suggest? Uh, people just get into astrology. Maybe they go after today. Say, wow, this is much more than I ever thought it was. What are some other suggestions that you have for them? Uh, how can they learn to practice it in a way that that serves them best or their family or their relationship with their children? Or Which is, by the way, always fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Um looking at family dynamics. Family karma. Wait, is it karma? Mm. Well, yeah, of course it's karma. Everything is karma. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) But sometimes you just wonder, people who have two parents who love each other Mm. and they want to do the best for the family and they end up with a runt. (laughs) Why (laughs) did I get this lesson? (laughs) No, I don't want to say it that way. But I'm just saying, you get these challenging relationships. Maybe it's the lesson you needed. I guess it always is, isn't, isn't it? it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's never a wasted lesson, I guess. <laughs> but um, what else could you suggest uh, for people when they, if they want to get into astrology, then 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 what would be a good way to start and what do you think would, would serve them pretty good? I would suggest if you're going to go see an astrologer, um, I would say make sure you get a good one. Stay away from people who ascribe a value judgment when they read your chart. So when I say value judgment, I mean an assessment of something as good or bad in terms of one's standards or priorities. There is no such thing as an inherently good or bad placement in your chart or transit. Hmm. How it plays out is complex, and it has a lot to do with how each person is working with the energy. Hmm. And this includes statements like, here's an example, like, Jupiter is transiting your sun, and this will be a very good time period for you. Or in the opposite end of the spectrum, if they say, Saturn is transiting your second house, prepare to be completely broke for the next two and a half years. These things could be true. Yeah, but you don't want to say it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they could be or or not. It depends on how you as an individual have worked to cultivate that energy in your own life. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I said, believe nothing but entertain possibilities Mm -hmm. and always ask for other possible indications if you don't like the way that something sounds. A good astrologer will understand that there are infinite possible ways that an energy can play out and they should be able to slow down and line out the archetypal principle in order to help you visualize the future that resonates the most with you. 
Mm -hmm. It reminds me as you talk about oncologists who have the gall Mm. to tell somebody you got less than a year to live Mm. or you have six months to live or the way the cancer is spread, get your affairs in order because you're not going to make it to the next month. Right. To me, that is science trying to Mm. outmatch the possibility of miracles. Right. Yeah. And I have seen too many times where people have had the prediction from a doctor, Mm -hmm. not an astrologist, about how long their life may last. And they believe it. Every day they wake up, they know it. And they 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 try to do they they try to fulfill their bucket list. Right. Or whatever it takes. I heard once from an oncologist, from a from a doctor, very well known doctor worldwide, who said that fellow doctors would predict when a cancer patient would die Mm -hmm. and they would put a bet on it Mm. and say either we win with our prediction or the disease beats us. Wow. That's horrible. Yeah. And can you imagine too waking up every day believing that seems like a form of medical, almost medical malpractice. Yeah, of course they won't tell you, but that is what right. happens in the back room, right? Yeah, the same kind of thing I think applies to astrology. If someone tells you something fatalistic about yourself, like, oh, you have this placement and it's so horrible and you'll never be good for anything. Don't and, go bungee jumping. Oh, yeah. It, tomorrow but, afternoon. Exactly. <laughs> Go on, go on Thursday morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, th- there could be some things about sure. that that, that that are valid. But if there's like a character assassination in there yeah. of like, oh, you have this placement and you're just, you're bad in some way. And people believe it. Yeah. And they'll invest belief into it. And then that, that reorients them going forward. Absolutely. And that's like. Because you believe that person. Yeah. Yeah, that's a form of, I think, spiritual harassment. You just, you know, you got to be very careful about who you accept information from. And I think, I think it's really important to never accept a belief from somebody outside of you. Like, mm-hmm. I don't care what kind of spiritual or moral authority they are. You have to check in with yourself always to to see does this make sense. Mm-hmm. And you bring that up. It brings me back to. The point earlier with the different religions, and I I know that we're Christian society in this country primarily, but Christians do not believe in astrology. If they're actually practicing Christians, I don't think. Mm-hmm. There may be people who are born and raised Christian and practice it as good as they can, but they have shown an interest in astrology. But I do believe as a whole, it is not really accepted. Yeah. You know, do you have a an, an, an I a have, concept why that would be? I I mean, I have definitely run into that um in the Christian community there's um there seems to be they seem to be a little bit more closed off to anything that like astrology that or any form of divination that can help to make sense of reality that is not their biblical text. Um and I kind of just I kind of feel personally like that's the moral authority of that religion wanting to have the 
the the last word mm-hmm. the, about how things work and what God is and like like anybody really knows. <laughs> yeah, it would you you would eliminate uh, Jesus out of your life and you've been raised that was the guideline mm-hmm. yeah. we use right throughout life yeah. and say no he can to me I think Jesus can still fit in Absolutely. to this whole process. God can still fit in. Yeah. I don't think it's either astrology or religion or or Christianity. I think it's like you can believe whatever you want. You can have whatever faith that you want and still use the practice of astrology as a basic tool for helping you to develop yourself, for your self-awareness or your sense of like how to understand other people. It's just a useful practice in general. I don't think that there's anything demonic about it. <laughs> no, no, no. And it, it, we're still, even astrologers are people. Right. So they have their own characteristics. Yes. So, and that is why I would say you have to be very careful mm-hmm. when you work with an astrologer who starts right. to predict the future. Right, yep. Right, don't you think? Yeah, because they're bringing in their limited knowledge and they're also bringing in their bias and their dogmas and, you know, their preconceived notions of reality. You know, you don't... This is the... the the interesting thing about astrology and why it's not purely scientific because you are bringing in the interpretive aspect of that other person, the astrologer's perception, how they see things. And it's if the astrologer's really good, then they're just going to be a pattern reader for you. Right. Um, but if they're not, they're going to introduce a lot of their biases and dogmas. Right. How often do you think people should, if they are interested in having a chart done? Mm-hmm. How often would you recommend to revisit it and see how things are going? I think it really depends on what's going on in your life. I know there are a lot of people that will go and visit an astrologer once a year yeah. because they just don't have the bandwidth to emo- or mentally engage with astrology as a daily practice. Right. So they want to know kind of like what's up for me in the year ahead. Mm-hmm. So they'll go on their birthday. Um, and have their solar return chart read. Mm-hmm. But then there are a lot of people that when they start going through a difficult time and they need help making sense of it, then they go see an astrologer. And it's really useful, I think, to have a good astrologer that you are in contact with or that you can get in contact with. So when things hit the fan, you can go and you can be like, hey, what's happening? Right. <laughs> help me make sense. So what do you think a person needs to do when they make an appointment with you or mm-hmm. somebody who they in their area? How do you prepare for that? What should you do? Mm. Well, you know, most of the preparation is on the part of the astrologer. You give them, you know, your birth information and they, they cast the chart. I think going into it with a clear understanding of what you want to get out of it is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, a clear understanding of what exactly the problems are and and also preparing yourself to be very transparent with your astrologer. You know, astrologers are notorious for being great secret keepers, you know. Is that right? <laughs> yes, I mean, we... Because you see more than you can tell. We Yeah, you know, you have to deal with complex issues mm-hmm. that people are dealing with. And so... When people come to you and they're being very transparent, you can it's it's fascinating how the chart will light up in front of you and you can start to see these different aspects that are yeah, challenging yeah. in their in their psyche or 
this this transit that's really hitting their moon or something like that. Um, and you can start to make sense of it or help them make sense of it. Mm-hmm. But the more, I think, in order to prepare, like I said, mm-hmm. you go into it with a clear head, knowing what your problems are, knowing what you really want out of it, and with the commitment to be transparent. Mm-hmm. Have you had an example? Can you give me an example of something like that? You know, I have an example of people who have gone in with a different mentality. They kind of go in with, hmm, so you think you can read my mind, huh? Right. Well, I'm not going to tell you anything. And so they, I'm like, well, what do we have to look at here? I'm just looking at a chart. This is basically like a blueprint. What do you want me to do? Like, right. is there an issue that like... You want me to deny <laughs> what I see? Right? <laughs> like, yeah. What do you want me to do? Yeah. Um, so I think that that's a waste of time if you come in pretty closed off and you're like, mm, what do you see? But if you're, if you're just wanting the astrologer to read your birth chart and be like, hey, what does this say, generally speaking, about my character or my personality or where I'm going to be devoting my energy in different areas of life? Mm-hmm. You know, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that your approach really matters, too. So then the annual visit, if you were to do an annual visit, if you have talked about your birth chart, your 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 blueprint, mm-hmm. and the first visit, and you have a clear mm-hmm. on better understanding, you read it a few times during the year. I said, oh yeah 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 yeah, right. good good reminder. Then when you go back, what do you talk about then? Mm. So I would look at their progressed chart. Progressed yeah. chart. Progressed chart. chart. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what that is is. For the basically the 90 days after you were born, the planets moved in a specific fashion, in a specific order. Sure. And that tells me something about the progressions that are happening in your life, um, and that can really influence that specific period of your, your life. So for every day of the progress chart, we correlate that with a year. So yeah. one day after you were born, we're looking at one year old. 30 days after you were born, we were looking at year 30. Yeah. And so the things that we are looking at, um, we're going to be looking at where your progressed moon is. We're going to be looking to see if any of the inner planets specifically have gone retrograde or direct by progression, because that's going to make a difference in the events that play out. So, and then beyond progressed charts... Say, if, if somebody doesn't want to do that, we'll look at a transit chart. And a transit chart is basically like what's happening right now mm. um, in your life that is... Transitioning right now? Yeah. Huh. Or if there's some tricky energy, like let's address it. Let's see, for example, if you have a, a rough Saturn in your chart, and we're going to look at where Saturn is, and we're going to see what house it is transiting and maybe what you can do to work specifically and what things you can work on specifically in order to improve the condition of, of Saturn in your chart. Right. So you're not facing so many difficulties and dealing with such heaviness. Right. So the progressive chart is really an elaboration on or an expansion of the birth chart, the mm-hmm. blueprint. Right. You kind of zoom in on what the birth chart has to say. The, the birth chart is your index on your book. Mm-hmm. And then the, the progressive chart are the chapters in your book. And the transit chart is the next book. 
<laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> all maybe. information. Yeah, it's all information. Yeah. So the transit chart has to do more with what's happening today. I would say, yeah, if you're coming to me and you want to see the transit chart, it's it's basically like, hey, stuff's happening. I need to I need help making sense of it. What do I do? I see. Or maybe even what's coming up for me in the next month or two. Say somebody gets a lot of free space in the, in their mind and they're like, hey, when when are things going to turn around or when when can I expect a a, a little bit of help? Right. In, or is there going to be a Jupiter is often associated with good luck or some benefic impact mm. or something like that. Um, Venus is also a benefic planet that brings... Benefic? Benefic, yeah. Benefic. So there's benefic planets, which are tend to be the influences that we like. Okay. You know, subjectively. Okay. They're, they're the things that bring us beauty, money, love, abundance, uh, material goods, things like that. And then there are the malefic planets like mm-hmm. Mars and Saturn. Yeah. And those tend to bring things that are more difficult. Challenges. Challenges. Negative challenges. Hard challenges. Hard challenges. I don't like to put the word negative on it. No, I realize it. It is what it is. Yeah, right? mm-hmm. it is. A yeah. challenge. It's a necessary lesson. Yeah. Just like, like somebody said the other day, is it a good life or a bad life? And somebody said, it's life. It's not It's not good or bad. It's what it is. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Do you do, uh, well, obviously you do astrology readings. I do hope that people are going to contact you after this podcast just to get more clarifications maybe about some of the questions that were being asked. And people can do that by uh, emailing you at karma, K-A-R-M-A dot astrology11, astrology11 at gmail.com, karma dot astrology11 at gmail.com. But you do readings? I do. Um, I'm not marketing and astrology practice currently, but because I have so many other things, so many other irons in the fire, but it's one of those things that if people reach out and they need more clarification yeah. or direction in their chart, absolutely. Yeah, it'll be fun. Do reading. Yeah. Sure. I, to me, again, this has been a long, long chat between <laughs> yeah. us. And I still feel I'm just scratching the surface. Yeah, there's a lot to because say. Because if you want to start talking about some details, the, the fascinating thing as a family man is understanding why even within with my own children and my wife, why certain things are so much smoother with the one than with the other, mm-hmm. talking about the same topic. Right. Even all of us getting together and sitting around the table and chatting, it's you notice that certain opinions cannot be expressed mm. without rallying some person <laughs> the wrong way. Without rocking the boat, yeah. Yeah, and the other ones uh, would wants more questions and wants to talk more, and you go, it is fascinating to see how everybody is carving out their own life yeah. and understanding more about astrology. And even within the family, I mean, uh, my wife and I, we both have talked about astrology, but... And the kids know that we, we talk about astrology, but then they may say, eh, I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a great practice for me personally to understand the dynamics that, because I, I know the charts of the people around me, the people who are closest to me. Yeah. And I think it's useful, especially whenever I get together with a group of people 
um, that may challenge me, I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I have context. I have a reference point. I kind of know psychologically there's a difficult aspect there. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's some karma with that one. There's some things that you have to work through. And it, it helps to keep things in appropriate context so that you at least know what's going on. And if you can shine light on it, that's the beginning of, you know, being able to solve a problem. Is there a certain book that you say was so inspiring and clear for you that you said, if anybody wants to learn more, what is a book that they could grab and read and probably in a good way get a better understanding about astrology? I would suggest The Inner Sky. I believe that's by Stephen Forrest. That's a really great book to just start off with in general. Stephen P.H.? Stephen Forrest. F-O-R-R-E-S-T? P.H., I think. P.H., okay. Stephen Forrest, Inner Sky. Well, this has absolutely been a joy. Amazing. Yeah. And what a knowledge and what a... I feel with you there is probably a reason why you do astrology. Yeah. There is a gift that you have. Yeah, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah, but the fascinating thing I've noticed with you, Andy, is that you have indeed, when it comes to charts of people, you have a photographic memory. Right. You remember things. Yeah. And like you said earlier, it's not that you have a photographic memory about everything. No. It's just that with astrology. And then I wonder... There is probably a reason why you have to do this. Yeah. Why you got involved and why you got inspired. You had to be inspired. It's part of what you need to do in this life. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, it's still playing out, so I'll keep you updated. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> And yeah. you know what else happens with yeah, it. Yeah. I wish you well with everything you do. And folks, if you want more information, obviously you can contact Andy. I just gave the email. And if you want to know more information, you can also check with uh, my website, that is healthinfocusnow.com, healthinfocusnow.com. And you can send, uh, you can sign up for the email letter at the bottom of the page over there and get regular emails when we do a new show, what the topic is, etc. And hopefully you enjoy this podcast much that you will become a follower. And so then you automatically get updates when the podcast is new but on my website you can also find articles so thank you thank you thank you for listening thank you andy for being here thank it's you and uh, what an what an enlightening uh, enlightening lightning <laughs> i don't even know how to say it it's enlightening it's been a long one <laughs> it's been a long one but it was a good one so i really appreciate it and uh, folks please come back so there's more information where this came from have a good day mm-hmm.